here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts... Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza. Because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Craig. <laughs> Give me a name. I like him. Who delivers <laughs> this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. I like in, him. in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voices of Wrestling flagship podcast. I am Rich Craig alongside, as always, very good family man, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, what's happening? How are you? Good, good. You had I forget you had one last week, uh, uh, a moniker that I really enjoyed. Uh, you added it. I don't remember which one it was though. Of, amongst your what's what's newest in the in the stable, I should say uh, of because there was one that you mentioned last week, and I really really liked it, but now I forgot what it was. So yeah, I, I added a new one last week. But what, do you remember what it was? I do. It well, was, go ahead. <laughs> it was your problematic fave. That's what it was. Your problematic fave. Yeah, that's that's a good one. I like that. One a lot. But anyway, Joe Lanza, Joe, we have a shit ton to get to today. I I, I know how people like our little pre-show banter and all that sort of stuff. I feel like we got to get to business right away here, right? Like, I, I suppose I, I'll you know we'll do the the pleasantries and all that sort of stuff. But man, people are dying. People are retiring. Good wrestling is happening all over the world. Bad wrestling is happening some places too. There's just so much stuff to talk about this week. But uh, I'll allow the pleasantries. Did you have anything in mind as far as uh, pre-show banter? You know, pre-wrestling banter. No, you could go fuck yourself. I got nothing to say. That's good. Cool. Perfect. Yeah, that's good. Because <laughs> I want to just get right down to business. We have we have definitely reached that point, like you said. Uh, we were talking about it last week, kind of teasing it that uh, we can't even look each other in the eyes anymore. We, we have to be on different ends of the uh, the studio. Uh, I have to walk into a different door. We have different parking lots. Because but but once that like, green light goes on. Once we hit record, this is as usual. So, yeah, you can go fuck yourself, too. Anyway, um, Jushin Thunder Liger retiring from pro wrestling. That's the big news, I think. Is, is this the fastest we've ever talked about wrestling ever on the show? It's like, I don't have the timer, but, like... We're clocking is, in at about one minute and 30 seconds. <laughs> my, this is weird. I was just like, what the... Huh. How are the Reds looking? <laughs> how's the Red Spring trade going? No, no, yeah. we, should, we should really get the... We, there's so much to get to. Let's... let's okay, let's, we'll do it. But how's, how are the Reds looking spring training-wise? Time stamp this one, Rick the Supersonic. How's <laughs> yeah. um, my man Rock Slate doing? Who's the? I, did you ever? The Reds have a lot of really fun named prospects. What was the guy that? Oh, Hedge or whatever, wasn't it? Like, there's no Rock Slate. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh, Shed. Like, what was, it's Shed or something like that, right? They had a prospect by the name of Shed Long. Had? What do you mean? He's gone? Yeah, he was traded in the. Uh, in the uh, he was traded in the in the Sunny Gray trade. Oh, three way deal. So he's he's playing for Seattle now. So there's no, no more shed long in the red system. No one knows what the hell we're talking about. But <laughs> that's a great. It's, name. 
Yeah, Shedlong's a great name. My favorite Reds farmhand. Well, you pointed out they have a they have a kid named Fidel Castro. <laughs> plays for the Reds. Reds. Oh my god. He's, yeah. I don't he's like 19 in an A ball, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, like, he's in the majors. Put him in the majors. Like he needs to be there right now. I I he's in over his head. Yes, he's 19. And like, but he's got to be in the majors right away. Is he is he Cuban? I hope he's not Cuban, too. That would be Hey, he's Cuban, yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> who named the okay? <laughs> he hasn't played above rookie ball. He's you know, who knows? He might never amount to anything. But that's not even the best one. My favorite one is Packy Norton. Because Ooh. he sounds like a nineteen ten, like yeah. He sounds like a bootlegger from nineteen twenty-three. <laughs> you know? I feel like he's driving a Packard, you know, like like you know, and he's got a Tommy <laughs> gun in the back seat. And and he's got a legit shot to make the majors, so I can't wait until Packy Norton is the uh, major leader. Wow, what a name! He he sounds like someone who gets offed in an episode of Boardwalk Empire by Nucky Thompson. I mean, you know, so I, I'm hoping he makes it. You know, Sal Romano got called up last year. Yeah, yeah, that's a your boy. Yeah. name as well. That, that's one of my aliases in Vegas, Sal Romano. But uh, yes, so anyway, those are the uh, what a name! I got to keep an eye on that guy. He's like a he's like a Brooklyn Robins player or something like that from like the twenties or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Norton, yeah, tremendous name. <laughs> like he, he forty five complete games. You know, <laughs> he started every game of every you know thing, but also batted, also played like you know second base or something like that. That's a yeah, and and had a problem with the drink. And well, of course, yeah, he, he flamed out in the majors when he was twenty seven because he, he was just an alcoholic and nobody ever knows what happened to him. So. And he and he died at thirty six of syphilis. <laughs> right, right. You know that was the, that's how it always ended for those guys. You know, aged thirty nine, syphilis is the cause of death. Always, it's something like that. They never see forty. Um, and yeah, they they completely wash out like before they're thirty. Like by twenty seven, they're completely washed. They all they all they're all alcoholics. They have gambling. They all have troubles with the dice games, Rich. You know, so it's the gambling and the drinking that gets them, and the women, and the uh, you know they eventually die of some venereal disease. <laughs> so uh, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the 1930 Brooklyn Robins roster right now. Tell me that your boy wouldn't fit on this roster right here. Yeah, give uh, it to me. The pitchers are the best ones because they always had the funny names. You got Dazzy Vance, the very famous Dazzy Vance. Everyone knows about Dazzy Vance. Yeah. Dolph Lugie, right? Jumbo Elliott, <laughs> Sloppy Thurston. <laughs> Yes, so they call it. So they call Brandon on the, on the yeah on the road. Russell WrestleNomics uh, host, uh, Kleis Dudley, mm-hmm. Bobo Newsome, yeah, and Cy Moore as your uh, your pitching staff here. Every uh, one of those dudes has an awesome name. <laughs> right? there's, yeah. also, there's also I find this name pretty funny too. 1930s uh, Brooklyn Robins, Babe Herman. Yeah, Babe Herman. Yeah, he's a yeah. Player, so he's yeah. not he's not Herman Ruth. He's not Babe Ruth. He's Babe Herman. Which is just right. This 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 sounds like the roster of old wrestling based in uh, where is that Indiana? That promotion they do the uh, yes, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, old wrestling. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. The roster Rube, of old wrestling. wrestler Harvey Hendrick, Ike Boone, Val Pacini. I am hmm, an ethnic man. I don't know about that on my on my nineteen thirties Brooklyn Robins, but uh, uh, Gordon Slade. Uh, and then I mentioned Dolph Lugie as well, but yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a team there. If we had thought out these segments or planned this show at all, which we never do, we could have done roster. Is this a roster member of old wrestling <laughs> or a member of the 1930 Brooklyn? That's not a bad one. I'm going to keep that one. Actually. Hold on a minute. That's that next that's episode a great next, idea for a game. next week on the flagship. Yes. Yeah, stay away from old wrestling. Uh, I will, I will assemble yeah. I, maybe not the same roster, but I can find some old classic baseballers and, and, right. and it can and, be. And, 
roster of old wrestling versus 1930s baseball player, mm-hmm. which is way, which, which is way. Yeah, yeah, and then see if you can do it. That's a great. Yeah, that, we're we're uh, we're gonna shelf that to next week. That will uh, lead off the show next week, and I'm I'm pretty excited about that. But uh, anyway, let's get to this week's show. That that was okay. I, now I feel better. We had a little bit of banter. We're good. We talked about baseball. So we you can't function without the banter. I feel like, like it was weird. It was weird. A minute in, I'm like talking about Juice and Thunder Liger. I don't. I I just wasn't ready for it. So now I feel better. Now I feel like I'm I'm in my chair a little bit more. I've I've you know. I've taken a few sips of the, the tea. I, I feel so I'm ready to go now. So, all right, let's get it's, to it. Uh, it's usually my fault. Like, I, I have to talk about, like, it's March Madness. I could have talked about March Madness. I could have talked about your boner. And it's always my fault that gets derailed. You clearly, I was ready here, but you just had to. It's like you need it. It's, it, in your it's blood. my lifeblood. It is. Yeah. We've, we've, it's just, it's, it's habits. You know what I mean? It's hard to break habits, but I tried. I truly tried, but just didn't, it felt icky. The rest of the show would have felt icky, but let's, uh, let's get to it here. Jushin Thunder Liger announcing, uh, I believe it was this morning that he announced this, or it was early, early uh, yesterday, uh, or, or I guess it was early this morning when we're recording, we're recording this on a Thursday. Uh, Jushin, Liger, uh, Jushin Thunder Liger announced that he will retire in January. I uh, made a press conference. Uh, he had a press conference, made the announcement during a press conference. He's 54 years old, which is nuts. We're going to talk about it in a bit. He said that he hopes to wrestle all around the world until the next Tokyo Dome card in January, where he will retire. He'll be out uh, during the New Japan Cup Tour. Uh, He'll be in Ireland. He also hoped that he'd be able to wrestle at the G1 Supercard event next month at Madison Square Garden. But uh, Joe, Juice Nutter Liger hanging it up at the Tokyo Dome. January 4th will be his last. uh, Presumably, I don't know which of the, obviously, which of the the Tokyo Dome shows he'll be on, but... uh, Tokyo Dome, January, that is it for Jushin Thunder Liger. So we have a countdown. We know now until January, it is all over for Liger. But uh, what does this mean? Because this, this is a pretty profound pro wrestling retirement. And I don't know that a lot of people, I, I feel like people do understand the scope, but then also I think it's going to hit people a lot. when he actually does retire. I think it's going to hit people because this is, I mean, this is an all-timer. This is a very rare guy retiring, right? Yeah, this is, you know, I mean, he'd be in a lot of experts top 10 pro wrestlers of all time. And I don't think you'd see him drop very far out of a top 20 or top 25 if you did a cross section of you know 100 experts or 100 fans or whatever, you know, you want to do. I mean, he's he's someone and and the thing is he's universally regarded. He's one yeah. of the, I made a tweet in that direction. Mm-hmm. He's one of the few guys where it's universal where you I've never seen a dissenting opinion that this guy isn't legitimately great and there's very few wrestlers because you're always going to find with wrestling and people's tastes you're always going to find some dissension on almost any opinion and he's one of a very small handful of guys and we've talked about this topic before where it's almost a total 100% consensus that he's just really fucking great you know and there's not many other wrestlers like that Um, and and yeah, I mean, you know, they say the Tokyo Dome, they didn't specify which show. We know that there's two. And it, it's it, it, that automatically, that gives them sort of a bonus drawing match for those two big shows that we were questioning whether they could fill that dome twice. I mean, that's something a little extra that you don't even have to work for. I mean, that's Jushin Thunder Liger's final match, and people are going to want to be there. So you throw that match on the weaker of the two shows and boom, you've, you know, they, that fell into new Japan's lap. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, so that's uh, something that if I'm new Japan, I feel a lot more comfortable about running the dome back to back. It's funny. Cause it wasn't that long ago where we were laughing at Kadani for wanting to run 
dome tours a few years ago, and here he is running the dome back-to-back nights. But yeah, just putting Liger on one of those shows for his final match is going to be enormous. Um, yeah, he's just uh, one of these, you know, arguably one of the 10 greatest pro wrestlers of all time. And myself and you and most of the people listening got to see either all or the majority of his prime right before our eyes. I mean, this is like watching Mickey Mantle play baseball in the 1950s. This is, you know, name your great athlete in any sport, you know, your, your sport of choice. Uh, you know, Wayne Gretzky, watching Wayne Gretzky in his prime or, you know, uh, Michael Jordan or, you know, I, it, it just is an all-time top, uh, you know, elite of the elite. I mean, the guy's great. So this is a huge deal. And uh, he says he's going to wrestle all over the world before then. So I expect him to take a bunch of bookings all over the place, get the goodbye tour. And, uh, you know, he, he deserves it. This is a, a major, major star uh, hanging him up. I think uh, some of the talk about Liger, which I really do enjoy, and, and again, we'll be doing it over the next few months here. A lot. I'll tease a little bit. We're, we're going to do something at the website, too, but I'll talk about that here in a sec. But um, the thing with, with Liger that I think really does stand, we'll get to like the, the, the in-ring is incredible. I mean, the in-ring speaks for itself, and we'll talk about kind of the, the, the amount of great matches he has, the length of time that he had great matches throughout his career, just that sort of stuff really stands out. But what I think is really more interesting with Liger is just the influence that he has as well. You said that you put him in like the top 10 greatest wrestlers of all time or whatever. Most people would probably do that. And, and, and I agree. I think he absolutely would be up there and there's absolutely a case to be made for him up there. I think also influence too, not only just in Japan, because we, we know his influence in Japan, him, him, you know, developing the juniors and them reaching the, the, the heights that they reached with him as sort of the, the spearhead, whether he was the top star or the guy kind of running the show or whatever he was doing there. I mean, that, that is, profoundly important what he did there what i think is also interesting too is the amount of people who who liger was kind of their gateway into japanese wrestling or even if they never watched japanese wrestling they knew who jushin thunder liger was before i even watched any amount of japanese wrestling i knew who that guy was he sticks out you saw him on magazine covers pwi was great about always showing jushin thunder liger i mean anywhere you saw him and you couldn't help but notice him when you saw him whether it be on a magazine cover whether it be on a vhs whether he was doing spot shows with wcw or spot shows you know wherever he was doing them you couldn't help but just say that guy looks different that guy's unique and and all-time great ring gear all-time great music and all-time great presence as well which i think really does that i think is what we're going to find out a lot more over these next few months is how influential he was in people learning more about Japanese wrestling or just straight up watching Japanese wrestling because of him as kind of that gateway. And I think that, you know, the early WCW stuff too, the stuff with Brian Pillman, the, the 1992 thing, or even the first episode of Monday Nitro, I think those are huge gateways for a lot of people. And it was a guy that, how could you not want to know more and learn more about this guy? There's no way just another like it could show up on your TV and you go, ah, all right. And then you move on with your life. There's no way, right? You want to know more about this guy. You need to know more. You have to know more. And it's just like, he, I think he's always had that presence. And I think a lot of people, I don't know your, your background uh, in terms of Liger and his influence, but I cannot imagine that, that he wasn't, he didn't play some part in you sort of starting to watch Japanese wrestling or watching more than, 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 you know, you ever thought you maybe would. Yeah. I think you, Every single point you made was good. Um, I do think he's uh, hugely influential, and I do think he was a lot of people's gateways into non wherever you grew up, whether it was WWE or uh, whether you grew up in the territory days, and you know whatever wrestling you were watching in the United States. He was the gateway to 
non-American wrestling for a ton of fans. And it was because of the distinctive outfit and the charisma and the presence. And like you said, the cool, everything was cool about him, the theme music. And then he got in the ring and he was a, just a great transcendent pro wrestler who just, you know, changed the game in a lot of ways too. I mean, this, this, this is why I say this is an all-timer. This is a legitimate top 10 all-timer because when you add all of these things up, and the fact that he's still going at the age of 54 and just had a great match. Right. That's the thing, too. It's like, you know, when he's put in a position to be in a big singles match, he still delivers. And the, th- the other thing about Liger is to this day, he's still a big international draw. If Rev Pro brings him in or any promotion in Europe, any promotion in the United States. He still gets the biggest pop or one of the biggest pops out of all the New Japan wrestlers on New Japan shows abroad uh, or, or, you know, on, on indie shows where he comes. It, it's, you know, he, at the age of 50 and he still delivers in the ring. And, yeah, he takes some subtle shortcuts now and he doesn't do all the things he used to do, but he's fucking 54 years old. Right. I don't want him doing a shooting star press anymore. That's fine. He doesn't need to do that anymore. But He doesn't have to do a rolling capo kick off the apron and, you know, and land on the floor. I don't need that every match. You know, but he'll do that stuff now and then. And he, he just knows, look, he's, he's, he knows how to get over anyway, and it's not like he ever dogs it. And he's someone who, for the past half decade, hasn't even been interested in being pushed. We hear all the stories. He doesn't want to push. He's been, he begged to get out of best of the super juniors for years before they finally yanked him out of it. Um, you know, he didn't lobby for, uh, you know, a miracle run in his final super juniors, because if he did, they would have gave him one and he didn't get that. He went like two and five or whatever it was. And it wasn't a factor. Um, you know, so it's like, this is a guy who didn't want to be featured prominently. Didn't want to be pushed. Um, you know, always put people over, uh, when asked, especially at the end of his career. And, you know, it's just he's just one of these guys that no one has a bad word for. And and most observers feel he's he's, you know, the elite of the elite, one of the all time greatest. And, and for all the reasons you said that don't have anything to do with Bell to Bell, where, oh, by the way, he's had some of the greatest junior matches of all time, you know, whether and, and he specifically spoke of Sano, a guy that he wrestled early in his career as uh, as being one of his uh, uh, most important opponents. And then, of course, there's the Owen Hart matches that a lot of people talk about and Kanemoto. And you could just go on. I mean, I, we could sit here for the <laughs> entire show and yeah. talk about all of the great matches and the great opponents that he had. And we'd still probably miss a few because he's been in this gimmick since, what, 1988? 88, yeah. And he's been in wrestling since, what, like 1980. Two or 84, like 84 84 was the first year yeah so i mean he's been in the gimmick <laughs> since i've been alive yeah i have not i was not alive when he debuted so. and it's funny because new japan always lists his date of birth as 88 like because that's when the character was was born i always find that amusing but um but yeah he's a guy who who you know he's not one of these at least outwardly and at least you know by everything you hear not one of these veterans that was greedy or you know, didn't want to put young people over. I mean, I mean, look, for the last year or two, he's been taking all the pins in his dopey little prelim tag team with Tiger Mask. I mean, you don't think he could stand up in the locker room and say, listen, listen, go, go, Tiger. You're laying on your back tonight. I mean, of course he could. He's Jewish and Thunder Liger. You know, but he doesn't give a shit. You know, it's like even for a guy like Tiger Mask, who's at the end of his career, he's like, ah, it's all right. 
Yeah, I'll look at the lights. Doesn't matter. You know, so it, it's that unselfishness too. Uh, you know, down the stretch here, he he comes off like a guy to me that's probably wanted to do this for the last couple of years, and for whatever reason, it just you know it, it, he hasn't been able to. And and you know, I don't know that for a fact or anything. That's just the read I get. And um, I didn't know, like, I don't know if they're being facetious about it or if it's the truth or if they were just joking at the presser, but they asked him if he was going to move out of the dojo. I had no idea he lived in the dojo. <laughs> I mean, is that true or were they fucking around? Uh, I mean, would it surprise you if he did? I, I don't know the actual answer to that, but it, I don't know that it would shock me if he didn't live in the dojo. Like, it wouldn't shock me at all. <laughs> he feels like the type of guy that would still live in the dojo and, you know. I mean, why, why cook your own meals? Why cook your own, well, why, why cook your own meals? You know, why do your own laundry if you can have other guys yeah, do it Why wash you? your own back? Right, you know? exactly, right. Uh, wash your own balls, all that. <laughs> but, like, I thought he had a wife. Like, does his wife live in the dojo with him? This is so bizarre to me. We need a Japanese person yeah. who, to, 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 to tell us whether that was sarcasm or not. Because they could have been just fucking around. Like, like I, oh, I'm there all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm there all the time. Like, yeah, yeah, you just say it with an old sport guy. Like, ah, I can finally leave the, you know, the gym or whatever. It's like, it might yeah, be he's always the there. Yeah, yeah, he might you know, always be of... there, like, you know, working out or hanging out or whatever. But, or he, or he might live there. Who knows? Like, it wouldn't, it would not shock me whatsoever if he, like, spent, like, you know, weeks at a time there. Maybe he goes back to the wife every so often or I, I don't know, man. Uh, I'd love to, I'd love to hear. I mean, I'm sure he does well financially. I mean, I, I mean, I, I sure hope the guy could afford an apartment. But uh, you know, I, I don't know what's going on there. But um, but yeah, so he'll wrap it up either on the fourth or the fifth. I think it's fourth and fifth, not third and fourth, right? I, uh, I believe you're correct. Yeah, I don't have it in front of me, but I'm, I, I believe you're correct. Yeah, and and you know, he just had a match against Taiji Ishimori, which you know, it's not going to pop up on match of the year list, but it's a match that a lot of people went you know four stars on. I think Grapple right now it's sitting at like an average of four right on the dot the last time I checked. And, um, you know, it, it was the, it, we talked about it a little bit last week, but it was, you know, exactly the kind of match that a 54 year old once per year challenger. I mean, I think he had a title challenge against Kushida a couple years ago and every, every couple years they give him a title shot or a big singles match. Um, I remember he did the NWA junior title stuff with yeah. Chase Owens yeah, when he yeah. first came in the company and, and things like that. Um, so every few years he gets these big singles matches and delivers every fucking time. Um, you know, he had the match against Tyler Breeze in NXT, which was a big deal because he had, he was one of the few, you know, stars of note who who never stepped in a WWE ring, and that it was a big deal from that perspective. It wasn't much of a match, but who cares? You know, it was Jushin Liger, Jushin Thunder Liger. It's not Jushin. A lot of people say Jushin Liger, like I just did. Like Thunder is not like a nickname. It's part of the name. It's a three name name. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. I think they think it's Jushin quotation marks. Yeah, thunder. you see that a lot. You see that a lot too. That that the Thunder is the nickname and it's Jushin Liger and he's Thunder. Yeah, I I do see that a lot where people will put that in quotes and it's not the case. Yeah, like technically the, the name of the wrestler is Jushin Thunder Liger. You're supposed to say and I have to force myself a lot to type all three. You ever find yourself doing that like just to be pedantic and correct about it it's that his name is jushin thunder liger that's his name it's not you know a nickname but um it was a big deal to have jushin thunder liger in a wwe ring and just for that reason you know it didn't have to be some kind of classic match against tyler breeze but um but yeah i mean i I don't know if this is the time to do a giant career retrospective because he still has some look he's gonna have a lot of moments between now and january i mean you know that um but what I'm curious about is whether this final match at the Dome 
I mean, I'm sure they want him to have a relatively big match. But knowing him, he'd be content with a six-man tag, second from the bottom. So I'm curious whether that's what'll happen. Because in reality, it doesn't really matter. People are still going to pack the place to see his final match, no matter what kind of match he has. And he's kind of weird like that in that I don't know that he's going to, he's definitely not going to demand, you know, some kind of junior title match against Hiromu Takahashi or something. He's just, that's not who he is. So it's possible it's a nothing match, which in, in a weird way would be fitting. Um, maybe they bring back an, an older opponent. I don't know what they do. What do you think they do for the last match? Yeah, I, I've, I've been kind of wondering about that because I know some people have mentioned, oh, that could be a great spot to like, you know, have Hiromu return or something like that. But I would hope to God that Hiromu returns before that point. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. Given that that it is, the t- if it was just the single Tokyo Dome show and there was only one, you know, January, then then yeah, I, I see him in some random six man or whatever because they just can't. Like, it, it, you know, the show's so loaded with stuff that like it's hard. And, and I'm saying this not as like a disrespect to, to to Liger, but we just know that they tell their stories and that he wouldn't fight for it either. That he would be like, no, 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 I don't. You know, there's there's all this other stuff going on. Give them time. You know, whatever. I don't need a singles match. But with the two dome shows, I feel like you can give him that. And and. And I don't know. I would probably have him against. Jeez, it's there's so many. And that's the other thing with him too. And we're, we're going to get to that in a sec. Is that like you could bring back a guy from his past, and and there are so many dudes that you could bring back and have him fight. But like, I don't know. I, to me, the best thing to do would be have against some young guy. Have against maybe Hiromu is nice and healthy, and and he does a match against him as well. And that's sort of the passing of the torch to Hiromu as the next you know junior legend or whatever. Wh- whoever you want to do it to. I mean, that guy I think is going to get so much from that. And that moment's going to be so profound and, and, and exciting and, and, and everyone's going to be paying attention to it that I think I wouldn't want to waste it on a six-man. And I, I, I know that Liger wouldn't care, but I would care. I want that to be a singles match. And I want him to go out with a really good match with him, you know, obviously losing. And then whoever wins, something they gain something by beating Jushin Thunder Liger on his last night. You know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I like that idea a little bit more. So that's what I would do. So you'd have him put someone over. I would, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of different directions they can go. I'm curious if, at, you know, at some point they start building a program to peak to something with them on that show. I, I, I don't know. Um, I think MSG now, you probably have to do something special, right? I mean, you can't just throw them in the prelims on MSG. You kind of have to give them something decent to do. I mean, you kind of have to, on these shows now, do something noteworthy with them. I don't know. So it's it, it's going to be tricky. But I don't think I don't mind that because he delivers. Right. I don't know how. You know, this is a guy who had a broken neck. No, not the broken neck. The brain cancer. He had a brain tumor. Yeah, like 22 years ago or something like that. It might even be three. I forget what it was. Wasn't it the late 90s? It was either late 90s or early 2000s. He had a, a goddamn brain tumor. <laughs> it's just like, oh, yeah. Went, brain tumor. This is a guy who destroyed his ankle. Um obviously worked a very high impact high flying style for a lot of years took a lot of crazy bumps on the floor um you know and at 54 still manages to deliver and look a lot of it is the mask in the outfit because it kind of makes you if you stay in relatively decent shape it makes you ageless Mm -hmm. you know it's like ultimo dragon cannot go anymore but he fucking looks like he did when he was 30 you know what I mean? And it's like he keeps getting booked because he still looks like Ultimo Dragon. And if, as long as he stays in shape and has an ab or two, he's going to be Ultimo fucking Dragon. You know? And it's like Liger, that ma- that outfit and the mask, you know, you don't see a bald head or gray hair or an aging face. 
and he was, you know, he could get away with being a little chubby in that outfit. It's a full body suit. So as long as you can still go a little bit and he can go a lot, you know, there's a big advantage to being a masked wrestler, you know, in that regard. Because it can extend your life because you don't, fans don't perceive you as old. There's a mystery to that. You know, it, it really does make you ageless. You know, uh, until you're until you're 80 years old and Mill Master. <laughs> yeah, and then at some point it, it, it's still. But but Mill, I mean, man, he got to his 80s before, and, and he still doesn't look. I mean, he he obviously he works old, but he doesn't look it. And that that's yeah, it's a, it's a he's still got that weird thing where he like puffs his chest out and sucks his, know, his, his pants are up to his nipples. And like, yes, the high waisted lucha tights with the solid color trunk and then the different colored leggings. You know what I'm talking it's about? Smart. It's smart, man. It's it's a good way and to they, do it. They pull them fuckers up to their nipples, <laughs> and they suck their stomachs in, and they puff out their chests, and they put their backwards fists on their hips, and they cock their head, and they look like fucking superheroes. They really look like superheroes. Yeah, no, it's an art. It's an art. You know, Mil Mascaris and Dos Caras and Fishman and all those guys. They, you know, you look at those pictures, and it just looks cool. They look cooler than the guys now. I love that 70s luchador look. I've just always loved that. And I, I always hoped that, you know, it would come back. But, um, you know, there's cool looking lucha guys now, obviously. But I, that look to me, the classic lucha look, I mean, you can't beat that. Joe, I want to play a little game here. Uh, I'm on cage match, Jushin Thunder Liger's cage match. How many total matches does Jushin Thunder Liger have per cage match as of right now, as we're recording this right now? Can you wow. even and, and here's the thing about that. When it comes to the places he wrestled, Japan predominantly, it's pretty fucking accurate. Like, because Japan always had good record keeping. Whereas American wrestlers, if you pretty much anything before the Attitude Era, it's, the records are sketchy and you're going to be missing a ton of matches. It's not the case in Japan. So whatever total you have here is going to be pretty close to accurate. And it's not going to be missing many matches. Let's see. He started in 84. 84, yep. And he's been pretty much full-time for New Japan. How about I spot you? How about I spot you? In 1984, he had 127 matches. So let's go with that. That's what he began with. I was going to say. He stayed pretty consistent throughout his career. So just kind of give you an idea there. Give or take, you know, obviously a little bit every single year. But yeah, he had 127 matches in 1984. I was going to say about 120 a year, but I've got to account for the injuries and um, things of that nature. And let's see, what what is it? 27 years. You know, he's got to have. Um, oh, 36 years. <laughs> 36, 36 years. 36 years. Yeah, I did. I, I did the math wrong there. Um. Man, this is just got to be a mind-boggling number of Matt. Got to be like uh, thousands and thousands. Um, yeah, like four thousand. That's pretty close. Yeah, four thousand and seven. Uh, oh shit! Oh, Price is Right rules. There Holy it is. shit! Yeah, that's good. I am going to the Showcase Showdown, my friend. <laughs> seven matches. I mean, shit! I would have been. I would have been over last week. You know, <laughs> that's crazy. Okay, four thousand and seven. Holy crap! That's a lot of fucking matches. Yeah. And and you know what that also tells you. It tells you when Ric Flair says that he wrestled Ricky Steamboat 2,000 times that he's completely <laughs> full of absolute shit. That's yeah. tell you. Now, Ric Flair might not realize he's full of shit. Like, do you think Ric Flair thinks he wrestled Ricky Steamboat 2,000 times? Um, or, or do you think he's being carny and just 
a little bit A, a little bit of B, a little bit in between. I think he probably believes that he wrestled him like 500 times, but 500 is not enough. You got to say, you know, that's that's not nearly, uh, you know, enough. Like he also didn't wrestle him 500 times, but like 2000, that's got a different hole. Yeah, because Ric Flair, uh, Ric Flair's number is 4,124. Uh, matches but you said it might not be perfect there there might be that's a few here and there but that's that's, that's no way accurate because yeah 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 those territory results are just lost in time you know what i mean and right he goes back to early 70s or whatnot and there's yeah, no way it. yeah there's there's no way so yeah still i think he's a little off on the uh the 2000 matches with steamboat but uh, yeah, he didn't wrestle half his matches against ricky steamboat that's no. yeah um, he probably wrestled like a hundred match. Do you think he wrestled a hundred singles matches with Steamboat? I think that's possible. Because oh, they for sure. Of- if they did tours, yeah, they did house show tours singles and whatnot. And- yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. possible. No. But that's- 2000. Yeah. And especially because they had like four or five different, or maybe even more than that, like, like runs yeah. with each other, even going back, like back in, you know, what, what when Steamboat came back. Yeah. And then he came back in like 94 or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Steamboat and they did it again and, and probably toured with it again. Uh, without looking at it, yeah. So I, I, I'd, say, I'd say that's pretty comfortable. Maybe even a little bit more than that. Even I don't mean maybe two hundred. Even there were probably times when they feuded in the seventies, where they wrestled every night in the territory. They probably wrestled eight times a week. Mm-hmm. You know that that's why Flair probably thinks they wrestled two thousand times. You know, so it was probably I, I, if it was in, I think it it could easily be in the triple digits. You know, but. uh but yeah, that, that that's good perspective though. Four thousand and seven, because that Liger number, based on the fact that he wrestled New Japan most of his life, and the record keeping has always been very good, especially since he wrestled for New Japan and not like he didn't come up through smaller promotions or anything like that. Um, you know, that's a really accurate number. It really anything since two thousand is going to be pretty accurate anywhere in the world because we have people paying closer attention to that kind of stuff now. But uh. But yeah, that's that's crazy. And um, how many will he finish with? I guess he'll do about a hundred more, right? I so. suppose. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder what kind of schedule he. I just hope he stays healthy throughout it. Like that'd be the worst if he just you know something happens on the way there. So, and and that's my one worry is that now that he like like you said like you kind of have to feature Liger a little bit more. You have to do stuff with Liger, and that's fine because he always delivers. But does he? Does it become an issue if he's doing like? Big time main event singles matches everywhere because you we know he's going to bust his ass. We know that if you put him in a singles match with somebody that is important to your company or, or he thinks is important, he's going to try to bust his ass. He's going to go out there and he's going to give it full effort. And I, I do I have a little bit of worry that that might become a problem because he's able to in New Japan where he is now kind of hide you know hide off in those junior matches, hide off in a tag match, not really do much tagging for a second, do his thing, team with cheeseburger, do that, you know. But if he's in singles matches, big time singles matches, semi-main events, main events, and he's doing it across the world and he's traveling more than he isn't used to. Like I I do wonder if there might become a little bit of a you know that he might need to kind of pace himself a little bit over these next few months. You know, so he doesn't burn himself out or so he doesn't get hurt. Cause because he is 54 years old. Like we forget that that you know this man is 54. And while he does deliver on these singles matches, doing them more frequently might become an issue as well. So I, I do worry a little bit about that because you're absolutely right. There's this pressure now that we can't just book Juice and Liger in some random ass six man and, and just have him come out and wave to the fans and go away. Like that, that no like people want to see him in big moments and, and there's gonna be that pressure and that's gonna be a little interesting to see how they they kind of handle it. You know 
you know, I'm not suggesting he's going to get out of the prelims on your common, you know, on showing some village in the middle of the Kyoto or something. But like when they go to MSG, like you can't. That's where I'm saying these. Yeah, have, he's like, going to be in a big spot. Yeah, yeah. G1 you know, Supercar, like, the G1, you know, sure. uh, in Dallas, he's got to be doing something probably big during that. Yeah. Anybody who books him, Rev Pro, anytime he's in Rev Pro, it's got to be a big deal. You know, PWG will probably do whatever they can to get him and and, and bring him in again. Um, yeah, and and, and like. This is it. You know what I mean? Like, that is it. So you can't just waste them on just a random ass match. Like, you got to make this count because this is legends like this don't come around uh, very often. Like, this is this is an all timer here. Um, and, and especially they don't go out like this. Like, Dory Funk Jr. has not had a proper retire. Like, you know what I mean? Or, or, or Terry Funk, for that matter, who had several retirements, but we all knew they were bullshit or. You know, uh, like Mill Mascara is still getting in there and wrestling. This is a guy who's like, I'm going to retire now. Are the, the did the odds say he'll wrestle another? Of course, it's wrestling. You can't say, oh yeah, that'll definitely be it. But this is even rare to just have something like this, where it's like, okay, we know this out, far out that he's going to go, and I get the sense that he might just be done. I mean, I know that's dangerous to say in wrestling. Um, have you ever seen him wrestle live? I have a few times. Uh, the problem is, I've only seen him uh, in, in in random tag matches. Like there was one I think I saw in Chicago last year around this time, and he just teamed with like Cheeseburger, you know, in an opener against. Yeah, I, yeah. I forget who it was. It was a Rapongi 3K or something like that. I forget who it was exactly. And it was like a lot of fun. It was really cool. But it's just like you know, he just teamed with Cheeseburger and just it was all about the entrance. He came in and then Cheeseburger basically did most of the match. And then I forget I saw him a few years ago uh, as well in Chicago, and it was just another kind of he was in there in like a tag match and didn't really do anything. So I, I while I've seen him live, I don't know if I've seen him do anything of substance, but it doesn't matter. I mean, he's just got like this electric personality that, that just, just being able to say I was there hearing that music, seeing him come out, seeing him get on the top rope and put his hand in. I mean, just, just seeing that once is enough to kind of say, Oh, I'm glad that I saw this guy. Like I, I, I now can forever feel fulfilled that I saw this guy live once, even if I've never saw a match of substance live, which it, 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 it's fine. I, I get it, but I'd be interested to see. I mean, if he if he gets booked for anything of substance near me, I, I'm gonna go. And like, if there's anything that he's gonna be here, like because we said, legends don't go out like this. You know, you do not ever get a chance to see these guys, and 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 there aren't legends like this all the time. Like this is a top you know guy of all time. So you you have to if if he's in your area anywhere near you, you gotta go see him. You know, because I tr- I'm with you. I believe it that he's not gonna be a guy that pops up again in, in, in six months and is doing regular tours and whatnot. Like he might show up on some Rambos. He might show up on some tribute shows or whatnot. That's, that's commonplace in, 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 you know, Japanese retirements or whatnot, but I don't see him as a full-time guy ever again. I mean, Jesus, how could he come back? He's 54 years old, you know, other than doing like, you know, but, but he's even more advanced than a lot of these other guys that, that do these early retirements. Like you mentioned Funk and Onita. They, they were like what, 34 and they're like, Oh yeah, I'm done. And it's like, I have bullshit. You're going to be back. And they were, a lot of those were just to draw money. Exactly. And, right, it, right. It, but um, he is one of those guys where he comes out from the curtain and it just feels a little different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the very first time you see him, you know, come out of the curtain. Um, the weirdest match I ever saw him in live. You'll love this one. In 2013, I saw him team with Tenzon in a tag match against Michael Tarver <laughs> and Big Daddy Yum Yum. How's that for a tag match? That's the bruiserweights, yeah, the bruiserweight and Big Daddy Yum Yum. Wow, was that the, the uh, original? Was that the chain smoking? Was that the? Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, right. I forget someone stole the bruiserweight title. Uh, from it. Yeah, he was the original. Michael Tarver, the original bruiserweight. Um, yes, that was where Tenzon was chain smoking outside the venue with his shirt off and scaring young children that were in that park or way because it was like a park, uh, the venue. And yeah, people were just looking at this, you know, this this large fella. With his shirt off, with a with a mohawk mullet, 
you know, wearing sandals and wrestling tights and out there chain smoking in a park in the middle of San Antonio. You don't see that every day. <laughs> so it was, and he's not the best looking guy. He kind of looks like a monster. Oh, I mean, no. I mean, that, that, that man does not look like, a, like, especially the hair and just yeah. the look and like, yeah, you said he's shirtless. Like, no, he's a scary looking individual for sure. I would Very not want to meet, meet tens on the end of it. And he'll, you know, they'll hiss chop you too. You don't want to you gotta watch out. So. He should have thrown a couple of his chops yeah. at people out there, you know? Oh, my God. I'm looking at the actual matches I've seen Drew Thunder Liger in, and I hope he gets booked again somewhere else because I feel like I need to rectify these. So the first time I saw him, he teamed with Cheeseburger. Uh, this was in May of 2016 uh, against Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian. That's fine. You know what I mean? That, that's cool. Yeah. I said Rapungi 3K. I was very wrong who we faced the last time I saw him. This was May 13th, 2018. Cheeseburger and Drew Thunder Liger versus... The dogs, Rhett Titus and oh, Will God. Ferreira. I need to uh, I need to cleanse that one. I gotta oof. You gotta get another yeah, one. In. Get another one in. That can't be the go last to one. Dallas. Gotta go to Dallas. <laughs> well you'll the... see him in you'll see him in New York. You'll that's true. Him. He'll be at the G1 Supercard. Thank God. Because yeah, I, I can't I can't go out like that. That's that's I'm not going out with the dogs. That's that's not happening. So he might pop up on some other shows in New York too. So um you know, you'll you'll get a chance where the dogs won't be your last memory. Then. I hope not. That's terrible. But uh, as we close out this uh, Liger discussion, I did want to talk about a uh, little. We kind of talked about it today uh, at the in the voice wrestling offices. We we all arrived at the office. We you know <laughs> parked our cars, and as we we're walking from the parking garage into the building, we all kind of talked about uh, what to do with Liger retiring and how big of a moment it is. And 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 we kind of come up with a few ideas that we're going to do. Um, one thing that I really like, and this is going to be a really fun project, in addition to a bunch of other things as well. And by the way, if you are listening to this and, and you have any ideas for any Liger-related content, we are more than happy to be like the Liger depository for the next you know six months. Come, yeah, come at us. You know, let, let us know on, on Twitter at Voices Wrestling, uh, Rich at VoicesWrestling.com if you want to email me as well. Any sort of pitches or any ideas uh, that you might have related to Jushin Thunder Liger, we are, we are into it. But uh, one project that I really am going to like doing, uh, kind of an idea I had is because he's had so many years in wrestling, is covering every single year that he ever wrestled and using like one match review from that year as kind of the way to start an article. So, you know, it's, it's 1991 and, and the person that wanted to do it is going to talk about the Owen Hart match, but then also talk about Liger in 1991. Or, you know, we have 1997, an Otani match that someone wanted to talk about and review and then also talk a little bit, a little bit more. But we're going to do it every single year of Jason Liger's career. So 84 all the way to 2019, we're going to have a review one review from every year of his of his career and then also just kind of other articles that go along with that year as well so that's gonna be pretty cool uh to do that and some other stuff along the way as well we had some other people even pitching us you know uh, iron mike spears talked about talking a little bit about dragon gates and, and just their liger's history uh in dragon gates so that'll be a lot of fun but again yeah if you have any ideas uh that you want or anything you want to do just just thunder liger related let us know we are we're more than happy with it we have uh the working title is liger beats we're going to be on the Liger beats, but I don't know if we're going to actually use that, but I just want to get it out there now before anybody steals it. So um, Tiger beat joke, you know, just in case. And then we can accuse <laughs> you, your listeners. Yeah, exactly. So I just want to get it out there right now. Boom. So if you hear anybody else that says Liger beat, they stole it from us because that was our idea. So Rich, no one's stealing that. But... <laughs> I know it's really bad. but it's... Yeah. Do you think, do you think, how many people actually know what Tiger beat is? Like people listening to this right know. now, like, what about... percentage do you think know what? What, what Tiger well, Beats is? I would say forty percent know what okay. Tiger Beat is because yeah, it's, it, we're really not the demographic because a it it it's skewed mostly young girls and and I don't know yeah even then like 
Is it even well, around anymore? I don't even know what, what the deal is. I don't it's know if it's anymore. around, but it, it, it was big in like the 80s among... That too, yeah. It's also it, like, it was, yeah, 80s, early 90s. So you're talking tween and teen girls in the 80s. So I don't know how many 40-year-old women are listening to this show. <laughs> right. That's not really our prime demo. Our prime demo is not Soccer Mom in Peoria, Illinois, who had Whoa. Jonathan Taylor Thomas posters. Peoria dropped there. Were you watching Bradley games earlier or what? I was watching the uh, Arch Madness. I was watching Arch Madness, the, the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament, in fact. Um, but yeah, that's not really our prime demo. So um, yeah, I, I would say a very low percentage of our listeners uh, know what Tiger Beats is. Yeah, but they weren't fawning over, you know, posters of Tony Dancer or whatever. You know, or the Tony Dan- yeah. <laughs> yeah, He was on it. I'm looking, Tony at, Danza? I'm looking at a Tony Danza cover right now. I think my Jonathan Taylor Thomas was way more relevant than your Tony Dad's taking it way back. Like, I'm looking at a cover right now. Yeah, it's uh, he was the a Osmond. Man. Yeah, the Osmonds are on there a lot too. Tony Danza had to be 35 years <laughs> old. <laughs> no, that's the only part too about the Tiger Bee. You look they at like need- the 80s and 70s ones, and these people are like 40, but they're like, oh, the monkeys are here. But you know what I mean? They had to be young and available. No, they used to put it's usually like teenage boys. Yeah. In because it's get Tony, are you sure it's Tony Danza? That's I'm looking right at it. <laughs> That's got, that's got to be like 1980. Please tell me. No, it's it was. Like, no, it's old as hell. No, it, it's very, very old. Yeah. Because I, 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 you can't tell me that's like who's the boss era Tony Danza. There was no 13-year-old girl getting hot and bothered over over like Tony Danza. <laughs> I'm like, looking at, here's the cover right now here. It's got <laughs> Tiger Beat Star. It says, those young, sexy, and single guys, who will be the first to say I do? See, page 20. And it's got... Uh, I don't know who Scott is here. Oh, it's, I think it's Scott Bayo. I think it's Scott Bayo. Scott Bayo. I mean, um, Tony Danza is right next to him. You got Leaf Cassidy right there. Uh, some oh, guy named Sean. I don't know who 70s. Sean is. It's got to be the late seventies. Yeah, this is this is pretty this, late. Yeah, this is this, this has got to be Taxi era Tony Danza. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. Okay, that's a little better because I'm thinking like 1987. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, no. I'm like Richie's 40 at that point. They can't have like 15 year old girls aren't swooning over 40 year olds. I mean, you know, that's just not the, 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 how these magazines operate. But yeah, if you're talking Leaf Cassidy, not Al Snow, by the way, not that Leaf. Cassidy. Yeah, not that Leaf Cassidy. Different Leaf Cassidy. But if you're uh, talking like Leaf Cassidy, and, right, so and, here, I'm looking at a, I'm looking at a cover right now. Teen Idols. Here are the guys that are on here. This is the, a cover of Teen Idols. This is the like Tiger Beat uh, right. secondary magazine. We got Tom Cruise. He's quoted as saying, "I want to have fun." Tony Danza ripped, shredded on this cover here. He's got six pack here. It says Tony Danza, "If I can help, just one kid." This is what Tony Danza says. Just melt your heart. Super bonus. A super Danza centerfold, Joe, on this oh. episode. <laughs> he was ripped in his day. He yeah, he was. Yeah, this is uh, this is uh, somebody named Billy Zapka. Do you know who Billy Zapka yeah, is? Billy I don't know. Zapka. I'll tell you who Billy Zapka is. I know here, who here's is. his quote. Just before you talk about okay. that, his quote is: "People recognize me." Well, I'll tell you. I'll know. I'll tell you why they do. You know who Billy Zapka is? I'm going to tell you. He was the blonde heel. In every teen movie in the eighties, he was the he was the lead heel in Karate Kid. That's William. Zapka. Oh, is that okay? Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in many other movies, he was always like the lead heel, though. Zapka, yeah, he actually looks almost identical to this day. Zapka, you know <laughs> really? why? He's, he's ripped to sh- to sh- yeah, he's ripped to shit in this magazine cover as well. Because you know what it is, the blondes. When you go gray, it's not as noticeable because they go from blonde to white. Yeah, right? it's not as stark of a difference. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, Tom McKee, he says those sep- those sexy soap opera guys. I don't know who Tom McKee is. I'm not. I don't know my, him. He's I'm probably, not my soap operas. Yeah, I don't. I, young and restless. I, I don't know anybody from those. Yeah, he's uh, a soap actor, which means he was bad. Which means he's probably in an alley doing heroin or something. Now <laughs> who knows? Probably. Uh, yeah. Does Tom Howell do anything for you? Do you know who Tom Howell uh, it's is? Probably C. Thomas Howell is probably who that is. Maybe. Yeah, I, I would think. But Thomas they're... isn't young and, and young and hip. That's why he's Billy and they're Tom. You can't be Thomas and William. you can't be C. Thomas Howell. That sounds like a lawyer. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then Michael J. Fox, a free giant color pull-out poster in this yeah, episode. Yeah, he was episode. big in those days. I still don't think Danza fits, but I, I'll give I, it a pass. Yeah, I, I, not my choice. Uh, he does look – on this Teen Idols, he looks old as hell. I don't know if he's a teen. That's uh, what I mean. Like He's Danza, got a tattoo. He's got a freaking tattoo. He does have a like, tattoo. A six-pack. Like, there's no way. He's like – Danza to me, he's also, 27 in this video, in this in this photo. I'm he has to be. It. Not only does he seem older than those guys, the other thing about Danza is he's a little too masculine for teenage girls. Like they like more of a softer, boyish look. You know what I mean? Like he he was always like more mass. Like he was way more masculine than those guys that you just named. Yes. You know, so I don't know. It's a weird fit. I feel like if a girl bought that magazine and saw Tony Danza, she'd be like, "Ooh, it's like dad." <laughs> you know, like he's too old and he's. He's got lines in his face. Yeah, he's like a little that. too rugged. He's a little too rugged too for, rugged. for, for Tiger Beat. Yeah. Rugged is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, Liger Beat. Liger Beat. But that's not why you called. Um, just kind of an idea. You know, as we're, we're kind of getting this thing signed up and, and, and people are kind of picking their matches, just the breadth of people that he faced and just the matches when you go back. Like, and that's what we kind of talked about at the top when you talked about there, that we could be here all day listing his great matches and the great opponents he had. I mean, just reading this list here of, of, of just top tier opponents he's had from 1984 to 2019 think of all that spans in pro wrestling we have a match against fujiwara we have a match against sano as you mentioned earlier we have a match against owen hart we have ultimo dragon otani kojima samoa joe marifuji adam cole tyler breeze will osprey now taiji Ishimori will probably pop up for this year we got tagged you know what i mean like who else can you talk about Sano and Adam Cole. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fujiwara and Adam Cole and Tyler Breeze in the same sentence. Yeah. And all great matches, too. And that's the thing, too. It didn't matter who he was against. And I think uh, I was listening today to uh, uh, the Adam and Mike show on, on F4W Online. Mike Semperview, who, who's a, you know, I know a listener of this show. He talked about just, like, how incredible it is that, like, he could face all these different guys and all these, whatever style of wrestling you like, Liger has faced somebody that was good at it and had a good match with that guy. You know what I mean? If yeah. you like crazy high flying, he had a good match. He had the, the Sasuke match is one that I that I always bring up that that I love that ninety four uh, one where Sasuke had the botch and they they played it in perfectly. Sure, sure. Yeah. And then you got like old school stuff where Fujiwara just eats him alive because he's young right. at that time and Fujiwara just beats him up and 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 submits him or whatever. And then you have like him as a legend against a young guy like Adam Cole or Tyler Breeze or whatnot. Or then you have him against power guys like a, a Samoa Joe or whatnot. Like any you know anything you know Tani match is a little bit more submission style. He's got that like any style of wrestling you like. Anybody who's good at that style of wrestling you like, you can almost always find, a, other than deathmatch. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Is there a good Juice and Thunder Liger deathmatch? Maybe he'll have one. Look, he had the, the Kishin Liger, you know, uh, alter ego matches where, you know, that were bloody brawls and That's stuff. That's true. Right. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you got your bloody brawls too. So, yeah. Yeah. He's got everything covered. I mean, he wasn't going through fucking light tubes, but, he, yes, you know. Yes. There's still time. <laughs> Big Japan, get on the phone. Yeah, well, Takeda versus Liger deathmatch. I mean, you know, check, check off every box. You could do that, but uh, no, that's gonna be a fun, really fun project to do. So, as I mentioned, if you have any ideas as well of anything you wanted to write or or contribute, uh, just let us know at Voices Wrestling or uh, Rich at Voices Wrestling It should be a pretty fun project 
uh, over the next few months. And it gives us kind of a everyone's pretty excited about it too, because like I said, everybody has a connection to Liger, so I'm I'm pretty excited to kind of launch that and uh and see where it goes. So keep an eye out for that. But um. Let's get to some other stuff uh, in the wrestling world as well. We have uh, two unfortunate deaths that we need to talk about uh, earlier this week. Uh, we'll start with King Kong Bundy, who earlier this week we uh, uh, found uh, he passed away at the age of 61. David Harrow was the first to report the news. Uh, PW Insider later confirmed that he had passed away. Uh, Joe, any thoughts or any kind of memories of uh, King Kong Bundy and what he meant to you in your wrestling fandom? You know, my mother texted me today and she goes, King Kong Bundy died he was only 61. I wonder what it was. And I said, well, he weighed 400 pounds and he was 61 years old. I don't think this is a big mystery. What <laughs> knocked this man off? Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, that's a classic mom exchange right there. But, um, yeah, King Kong Bundy, it's what, what's, what's funny about King Kong Bundy is it, it's, he's like, just, it, first of all, it's a great wrestling name. King Kong Bundy is just a classic and tremendous wrestling name. It's right up there with Abdullah the Butcher or, you know, the, the Dusik Family Riot Squad or, or you know, um, you know uh, uh, Butcher Vashon or, you know, names like that that are just, they're just Cactus Jack Manson. I always love that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where yeah. he dropped the Manson part, you know? And um, well, Cactus Jack, Bundy, even on its own, too, is a pretty awesome name. It's too. a great name, too, yeah. But, like, Cactus Jack Manson adds that little extra kick to it. But, you know, yeah, it was just such a great name. And because of the distinctive name, and, like, that's a name that jumps off a wrestling poster. Like, you know that guy's a fucking badass. His name is King Kong Bundy, you know? And the whole Bundy thing, right at the height of the Ted Bundy stuff, it just yeah. worked perfectly, too. And And it's because he looked like an Easter egg. I mean, he had that distinctive frame, too, where he was, you know, he had the bald head. He was perfectly symmetrical and round. He <laughs> no was, neck. He was born with no, no neck. No neck. Little stumpy arms that hung there. He was over 400 pounds. He was a hell of a promo. You know, he knew, he knew how to talk. He knew how to cut a promo. He knew how to cut a promo to his character. And he was perfect for the era. And he's a name that has lasted the test of time. I mean, I've got my mother texting me. That right. tells you all you need to know. You know, my mother's not texting me about the destroyer. You know, all due respect. You know, it, it's you know maybe if she grew up in another time, but you know King Kong Bundy. You know, it, it, it's he's just someone who remember his peak run. Rich was only two full years. You know, he came he came midway through eighty five WWF. I'm talking. He was there for all of 86, all of 87, and he left very early in 1988. Then he was gone for a very long time and came back briefly in 94 and then left, you know, halfway through 95. And this and and to put that in perspective, he spent about, I don't know, three total years in that first long run, a little less, like two and a half years in that first big run. And like somebody like Naomi has been in WWE for 10 years now. (laughs) And it's like. No one will ever remember Naomi whenever she decides to leave. Again, nice little wrestler, nice person, whatever. No one's remembering Naomi. This guy was in the company two and a half years, 30 years ago, and everybody remembers King Kong Bundy. It's because of that great name. It's because of that great look. Main event WrestleMania 2. And, uh, and, and the midget match at WrestleMania 3 with Hillbilly Jim on the other side where he destroyed Little Beaver, which again is a very memorable moment from a peak era in pro wrestling. Bundy was very lucky 
in that for the years, the Wrestle, he was there for WrestleMania's one, two, and three, first of all, which is huge. And he had super memorable matches on all three of those shows. He had the squash against SD Jones at WrestleMania one, which for years was pushed on WWF television as the shortest match of all time. It was billed at like four seconds, even though in reality it was like 30 seconds. But, you know, in, you know, in WWF history, the way yeah. they write the history, it's a four-second <laughs> well, match. Well, even at the time, I don't know if you remember watching that, but even I don't know how long ago you've watched that WrestleMania. But So the bell rings, and they kind of do stuff in the ring a little bit. And then, obviously, Bundy does you know whatever he does, and then yeah. pins Sesty Jones, and Monsoon goes, I think that was four seconds. <laughs> it was like, no, right. it was clearly not four seconds. Like, it takes three to it, – it, it's three to hit the mat. First yeah. off, and the bell rang 20 seconds ago. Like, there's no way it's one. But Monsoon, you know, it is, is in, in perfect Monsoon fashion, which is like, oh, I think that was four seconds. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Yeah, it well, they was had just they decided that that was going to be a four second match before <laughs> right. it happened. And and because of that, it became a very famous match. It's one of the most memorable matches from WrestleMania one. Then, of course, WrestleMania two, he headlined against Hulk Hogan in L.A. in the cage. And then WrestleMania three, he had the little beaver moment. And and the match, uh, the six man match with 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 Hillbilly Jim and and the, and the midgets. So he was in very three famous matches on three of the most famous wrestling shows during one of the peak eras in the history of professional wrestling. So he has endured the the test of time because of all of those things: his name, his look, and and those three big time moments on those three big time shows. And um, the thing about Bundy is. You know, he got his start really where he broke through was was Texas, the world class. And if you go back and watch those old tapes, 81, 82, he had hair. Yeah. And I think people that surprises people who have never seen that footage. And it's so bad, too. He is he enhances character 15,000 times by losing that hair. You know what I mean? Like it, it he's he's still imposing with the hair. But man, yes. it's night and day. Once he lost that hair and was bald, it it, it came together. It's he so, became larger than life. Yes. Once he the hair, hair, he just kind of looks like a goofy fat guy, you, you know, and it doesn't quite work. He loses that hair, and it is it is perfect. It is exactly what his character needed and what everything that he did. It was awesome. Yeah, so he was a a, a top heel in uh, in Dallas uh, when he was very young, and then he moved on to mid south, which is where he picked up the five count gimmick. And I think I saw Meltzer attribute that idea to Jim Ross, and I haven't seen anyone dispute it. So, you know, for for Watts, he picked up the five-count gimmick. And then, of course, uh, he spent some time in Georgia where he was one of the original members of the Legion of Doom when the Legion of Doom was an actual faction, not just Hawk, Animal, and L-Ring. You know, Jake Roberts and King Kong Bundy, and uh, I think Buzz Sawyer may have been part of Legion of Doom at that time. So, you know, wherever he went, he was he was used well because obviously, you know, he's a big young guy with a distinctive look. And then, you know, by 85, he had what a lot of people forget about or might not know about. He had a long run in New Japan. Now, I don't know how much of that stuff's on New Japan World, but that's where he first crossed paths with Hogan. He had a couple matches and even a singles match or two with Hogan in New Japan in 85. Yeah, early 85, yeah. Yeah, and, and some tags and stuff. So, you know, and I think New Japan did a little something for him when he passed. I think they had Harold May hold up a picture and they did a salute or something. I think I saw pictures of they that. They did. Yes, they did. Yeah, yeah. They, they did a, a 10 bell thing, I think. And then, yeah, I think Harold held up a, a photo for him. So, yeah, he spent most of 85 with New Japan. And then, of course, um, he came into WWE and WWF in, in 85, managed by Jimmy Hart initially. And he got the mega push. He got a huge television push. He was squashing jobbers on, on TV every week. And, of course, he had the big squash match we talked about 
at WrestleMania one over SD Jones. And then what happened was, um, I guess when they decided he was going to headline WrestleMania two, they moved him over to Bobby Heenan because at the time, Rich, the managers were slotted. Heenan was the top manager. Yes. Right. So Jimmy Hart had to, yeah, Jimmy Hart was the number two manager, always the, a strong number two manager. Then you had your other guys, like, you know, you could argue that, like, maybe Johnny V was the number three guy, and maybe, or maybe Blassie. Blassie, they were phasing out, and they were phasing Wizard was, was pretty gone by this point, too, right? Gone. Yeah, that's what I thought. He was gone. He was dead. Um, oh, that's you know, right. Yeah, so he was definitely gone. <laughs> he was gone. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been, been a big story if he appeared there, but yeah, I forgot, I forgot that he... That's yeah, at that time, once Heenan came in, in 84, 85, or whatever it was, he was the number one man. He was slotted as the number one guy. Jimmy Hart was number two. Johnny V was probably number three once they started phasing Blassie down. Blassie was probably number two or three when he was when Sheik and Volkov were still top-of-the-card guys. But they started phasing Blassie out and phasing Slick in. Slick and Blassie kind of co-managed for a while as Blassie was handing the baton to Slick. And then Blassie was out of the picture, and Slick kind of took over his stable. That's kind of how it went. And Slick was always really last in the pecking order. And I guess he moved up when Johnny V went away, and and uh, but but Slick never ascended all the way to the top. I guess you know Akeem and the Big Boss Man, and you know by '89 maybe there were times where Slick had main event programs, but he was never the top manager. But anyway, um, um uh, that's just kind of how the manager slotting works. So. They, they took Bundy off of Hart and they put him with Heenan. It was a trade. Were, it was a trade. Do you know who was involved in this trade? Yeah, it was. Um, I believe the missing link went back to Hart. The miss, well, missing link had someone else. They had to add another guy to freshen uh, the deal. Because the, the league office, the league office didn't uh, <laughs> didn't approve, so they had to go back and. Yeah, which was cool because look, they did these things for business reasons, but uh, they gave them kayfabe reasons. Some as logic, well. yeah. There was a logic where Hart said, "Ah, you know what? You can take Bundy, but I want you know X and X back or whatever," which is cool. And they would I, do I, that a lot, like where guys would switch managers just because they would try different things and guys would be better fits with different people. I mean, Greg Valentine bounced around from Johnny V to Jimmy Hart, and and you know a lot of different wrestlers. They they tried them with different different managers because it's just the chemistry thing. You know what I mean? Some guys work better with other guys. It was missing link and it's a bad trade, bad, bad trade for Jimmy. I I do not think it worked out. Well, I got to tell you, missing link didn't last very much longer after that. Who was the other guy? I'm not going to waste everyone's time. Adrian Adonis was the, uh, the other guy. Not a great great trade, Jimmy, but that's all right. You can't win them all. (laughs) I mean, Adonis did a little better than missing link, but um, you know, missing link, uh, you know, Dewey Robinson, Robertson, he wasn't long for, company after that adonis at least had a bit of a run with Hart. um yeah but yeah so bundy anyway they do the trade they wanted bundy with heenan because heenan was the the number one manager at the time and heenan was the guy that was always feuding with hulk hogan uh during that time so they put bundy in the heenan family and they heated them up for wrestlemania 2 and of course one of the most famous angles of the era was saturday night's main event i remember watching it as a very young child uh, Don Morocco or magnificent Morocco at the time, um, you know, against Hulk Hogan and Bundy does the run in and Morocco and Bundy do a number on Hogan and injure the ribs as Heenan is, you know, jumping around and yelling. It's just a great angle. Heenan is good. Everyone involved is great in that. It's just a, a home run angle. And um, that's your WrestleMania to build. That's the start of it. That's the big angle. And Bundy, of course, loses that match in L.A. After that, uh, he does the tag team with Big John Studd, 
it was uh, it was Bundy and Stud. They start building them for a program with the British Bulldogs, who had won the tag team titles from the Dream Team at WrestleMania too. This era is my wheelhouse, Rich. I, can, I was going to say you're good. Go, keep I can going. go way <laughs> deeper than this. This is listen. This is when I was a child, and everything sticks with you. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I can, you know, I can, I can do. Yeah, ninety four to ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to two thousand. I can, I can give you every month, every week. But yeah, no, that's that's good. Go ahead. This is great. So, you know, he, they move him into the tag team with Stud. Um, you know, they feud with the Machines and people like that, which was, uh, you know, Blackjack Mulligan and Andre. And um, he and, was uh, there for a little bit, too, I think. He was on the Machine. Piper Machine and Hulk Machine. Yeah, superstar, uh, mass superstar Bill Eady, of course. And uh, But then they build them for, a, you know, they're, they're building them up for a program with the British Bulldogs. If you go back and watch the old primetime wrestlings on the network from 86 – Post WrestleMania 2, you'll hear Gorilla Monsoon needling Bobby Heenan constantly about how Bundy and Stud don't have what it takes to beat the British Bulldogs. And because they were building that match on the house shows, uh, Bundy and Stud versus the Bulldogs. Now, I don't think it ever, that program ever reached the peaks that it did. They just changed directions or whatever. Maybe that's when uh, Dynamite got hurt. I don't know. But um, but then Big John Stud left, left the company. So uh, that. You know, 86, the rest of 86 was Stud and Bundy. And then by 87, Stud was gone. And Bundy kind of was, you know, teaming with other Heenan family members. He was uh, at the, uh, uh, he would team with, uh, Rick Rude was there by that point. Uh, He was teaming with Rick Rude a lot. He was teaming with, uh, you know, just other members of the Heenan stable, Hercules, people like that. And really not doing much of anything. And then he had the match at WrestleMania 3 with the little beaver thing. Um, and then at the end of 87, he had his second program with Hogan that not a lot of people remember. They had a match on Saturday night's main event, which I think had a bullshit finish. It was a DQ or a count out or something. Uh, and that built towards a second match on Saturday night's main event a few months later where Hogan ended the count out. Count out, by the way, was how he count uh, out. Okay. Bundy so won. I don't know what happened. I don't know what uh, uh, Bundy defeated Hogan via count out. So I don't know what. Okay, now, now, remember, all of these Saturday night main events are on the network. So you want to go back and watch this stuff. It's all there. So Bundy wins by count out. They built to the rematch. Hogan wins the blow off. And I think they had a house show program in between mm-hmm. because what you would do with a lot of times with Saturday night's main event was is when Hogan would have a match on Saturday night's main event, a blow off match. It was usually the end of the house show program. And they, you know, because you're not going to give away Hogan beating the guy before you go all across the loop with it. You want people to pay to see the match. So once they would do the whole loop with Hogan versus whoever, in this case, Bundy, then they would do the final blow-off match on Saturday night's main event and wrap the whole story with a bow. Okay, Hogan beat him on TV. It's over. Hogan's moving on to his next opponent. That was usually the pattern. So that was Bundy's second program with Hogan. It didn't culminate with a pay-per-view match or anything, but he had a big house show program with him. Second time around is never as good as the first. I'm sure it didn't draw as well. I don't know that for a fact. You would need Meltzer or, or Zellner to tell, you, to tell you that information. But I know he had that second program with him. And then at the Survivor Series 87, he was on the opposite side of Hogan. Remember, it was like three Heenan family members, Butch Reed, and I can't remember the fifth guy, against like Hogan, Bam Bam Bigelow, Ken Patera, um, and I can't remember the other two off the top of my head. That was the end of 87. But that was Bundy and Hogan on opposite sides there too. But I think that was after their program had had finished up. And that by this point, they're building, um, they're they're finishing up, um, you know, the Hogan Andre stuff, and they're building towards WrestleMania four. So eighty eight rolls around, and that's when Bundy finished up. He finished up very early in eighty eight. So he had that second program with Hogan, mm-hmm. and I guess he saw the writing on the wall. He's like, well, they're probably not going to give me a third one. 
Um, you know, Hogan's going to take time off soon. They're going to go to Randy Savage. You know, my time here is probably done. And uh, Bundy exits the company. He's gone for a number of years. And, of course, comes back in 94 as part of the Million Dollar Corporation. And uh, that stable with Ted DiBiase sticks around till about, uh, you know, mid-95 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, late, late, like October 95, I think, is when he he's all done there. He does Mania with uh, with The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always always popped up on these manias, though, man. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like Vince, because Vince loves his baby faces beating big men. You know what I mean? And 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 Taker at that time had to beat big guys. He had to beat Mabels. He had to beat King Kong Bundys. He had to beat Diesel. You know what I mean? He can't just beat normal guys. You got to beat these big dudes. And that's why you know, Bundy kind of yeah. came in and the monster stuff. So it was uh yeah. But that first run, so many super memorable moments. Yeah. On the especially with the WrestleManias and with the name and the gimmick and the look, he's become one of these guys who just stood the test of time. And then, of course, during that first run as well, he broke into the mainstream a little bit. The appearances on Married with Children, the uh, Richard Pryor movie, Moving, where he had a pretty substantial part because he was a charismatic guy who could talk a little bit too. And he did stand up comedy towards the end of his life. So, this was a guy who was quick witted, he could talk a little bit. I think he did like dad jokes. But still, I mean, to get up in front of a crowd and do stand-up comedy, there's something to be said for that. And he 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 was a good talker, and um, you know, he 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 endorsed products. I think he had that contract. What was it? Apple, one of those computer companies where he was endorsing uh, Vendex Head Start. Yeah. <laughs> do you know anything about Vendex? Apple, uh, yeah. Not quite uh, Apple. Yeah, that was a big deal too because he would pop up in magazines and people would see him there and he would do commercials and he, like I said he did some movies and some TV work so uh, one of the stars that really endured from that period despite the fact that his run was super short it, it's like you know like I said you have people like Zack Ryder who have who are like they've been there 12 years and they won't have the impact and Ty Dillinger just wrapped up and he was there for 15 fucking years you know what I mean like yeah and and Bundy was there for two and a half years and and just is is you know way more memorable than now it helps that he was there at the peak he came in just at the right time and to be honest he left at the right time you know Mm -hmm. and then he comes back in 94 95 that was what it was and but the other thing about Bundy is after he left WWF the second time, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about, we've seen rumblings of doing an independent wrestling hall of fame and sort of a fan thing. And he'd have to be first ballot. I mean, King Kong Bundy was all over the independent scene for basically the second part of his career. Now he didn't work trendy indies and he obviously wasn't a work rate indie guy. He was in his fifties by the time all that stuff started, but particularly in the Northeast, you could not see an independent wrestling poster without King Kong Bundy on it. Because that, like I said, it just pops off the poster. The guy was a draw, you know, and, 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 you know, he worked just, you know, all of those, those East coast and especially New Jersey Indies and New Jersey was a, you know, an epicenter of independent wrestling before independent wrestling was even called that. I mean, you know, that that's, you know, the Northeast and particularly New Jersey is where it was at. And he worked all of those shows. He worked every VFW hall and bingo hall and high school gym and, 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 you know, and, and always on top. And he did that for years and years and years. That guy didn't stop getting work until he stopped wanting it until he was well into, you know, his early fifties and probably at that weight couldn't work anymore. But I think that's a forgotten part of his career that a lot of people don't talk about. There's so many veteran wrestlers now. I saw Colt Cabana tweet out something that, you know, he remembered wrestling King Kong Bundy when he was 19 years old, you know, on an indie show. And a lot of stars now, veteran guys in their late 30s and 40s, came up wrestling guys like King Kong Bundy on indie shows. And and Tom Brandy, 
working shows as both Sal Sincere in the opener and then the Patriot in the main event. <laughs> you only get two payoffs. And, and, and guys like Bundy and Tom Brandy and Tito Santana and, and some of the other ex-WWE guys were just the lifeblood of independent wrestling in those days on those shows that would draw families. You know, before independent wrestling became a trendy thing that was drawing hardcore geeks like us, it drew families, it drew people in the community, and you wanted a guy like King Kong Bundy on your poster, and he worked hundreds of indie matches for many years, long after he left WWF the last time. So, uh, 61 years old, one of the most famous wrestlers, if you ask people, the kind of guy that your mom will text you about when they die. And, uh, you know, that was King Kong Bundy. He definitely passes the mom test, you know, you know, like guys like Sergeant Slaughter and, you know, another great wrestling name. How great of a na- wrestling name is Sergeant Slaughter? Oh, yeah. Come on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, <laughs> they don't make it. They don't make them like that anymore, man. They don't. They don't. Even Big John Stud. It's, it's, it's just a with two D's awful. with two D's too. Just the two really- D's. It's like it could be a porn star. It could be a wrestler. Either way, it's a great name. You know, like Big John Stud. It's just a tremendous name. You know, Bam Bam Bigelow. You know, now we get, you know, uh, Donovan Dijakovic. I mean, you know, it, it's if Bundy came up now, he'd just be Bundy or he'd be fucking uh, Chris Paley's or he'd be <laughs> Paley's. Yeah, Paley's. Chris. Yeah, Chris. You know, it, it's like you don't get these great wrestling names anymore. And, I, and you know, it, it's it's it's, you know, the intimidating names, the names that pop off the poster. And that's what he was in every way. Chris, uh, you know, uh, King Kong Bundy, his name popped off the poster. And when he was on your TV screen, he popped off your TV screen. He's a guy where you're watching wrestling with your dad and you're 10 years old. And he goes, you know, I look at the size of that guy. You know, how is, how is, uh, you know, he'd come on uh, Saturday morning and, 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 and your father would be like, you know, how's this, uh, this jabroni going to be King Kong Bundy? You know, he just, just pops off the screen. So uh, a significant star from a significant era, and to me, amazing that he had the impact he had with such relatively little time that he really spent on national television. Yeah, I think one, uh, I, I just found out today, actually, as I was kind of doing research for the show, that he, I, I never remember him appearing in ECW, but he was on the first November, remember, they were still Eastern Championship Wrestling at this point, so you, as you said, like he kind of, he, he did a lot of Northeast stuff. The main event of that first November, remember, is oh my god, Sabu, Road Warrior Hawk, Terry Funk, and King Kong Bundy. It was a winner take all match for the ECW Heavyweight and Television Championship. Yeah, and that was, <laughs> I think, his only ECW match. I think but... so as well, but yeah, still, like, I had no idea that he was ever on that. And I, I oh, yeah, that first, that first November, remember, is that on the network? The first ninety three November, remember? I don't. It is. I oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Now, out. now it's weird because it won't be under the ECW pay per view section. You have to go under. I forget where you have to look, but a lot of those early ECW shows that weren't pay per views are under a different area, but they're there. Oh, so, that's right. They're on like uh, ECW hidden gems, or I forget what it's called. Like it's something that. like There's that. I have section, found some. But they I found are some there. weird stuff on that one. Yeah, because they're not quite pay per view, so they don't want to call them that. So they're right. in like weird sections like that. You'll have to see if that one's on there. That'd be uh, pretty cool to to go back and check out. But uh, that yeah. was that era. That was that era of ECW where they the Morocco eras. <laughs> Morocco <laughs> yeah. and Snuka, of course, was 
I thought Snooker did some interesting work in ECW during that time where the way they used him was interesting. And then, you know, Bundy, Morocco, Snooker, they were bringing in guys like that. Room Warrior Hawk would, would parachute in. Um, you know, the pre-extreme era of ECW. Yeah, Jim Neidhart I know popped up a few times as well, just doing little yeah. stuff here and there. But yeah, all the undercards are filled with your Dreamers and your, you know, your your Tasmaniacs and your Sandmans or whatnot. But yeah, the main event was always like, you know, your Sebu was still kind of big at that point too. But yeah, your main eventers are tended to be uh, or the guys in like big spots, they they tend to kind of mix and match the guy, which is a smart idea. You know, get get your young guys over by beating, you know, Don Morocco. That's a big deal in the northeast or whatever. So then yeah. you can kind of work, you know, Sabu now or Taz, you know, work his way up the ladder by beating these old legends of, of the Northeast. So Yeah, by ninety-three, Sabu was a thing. Um, he was a main event thing. And but you're right, underneath you had all of the guys that would later become the stars. Your Tommy Dreamers, your public enemies, your your Sandmans. Maybe they didn't have quite the same gimmicks because you had like the Tasmaniac. Um it, a but, literal Sandman. <laughs> he was literally a sand man. Yeah. And then your Philly indie guys like Tony Stetson and, and Johnny Hot Body or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> guys like that who were the Philly indie guys. It was a weird mix and you know and, and um you know Tom Brandy popped up there too. I think he was working as I don't know. It probably wasn't Sal. It was probably Johnny Gunn at that point. Um, but he, you know, Tom Brandy worked everywhere at that time. He was, you know, Tom Brandy purchasing that Patriot gimmick from. Oh my Denver God! Was the money, the money I, that that man made. He worked twice on every indie show and get paid twice. You know, and I'm sure he gave a discount for the second booking. But that was just a brilliant move. I don't know what he paid Del Wilkes. I'm sure he made it back tenfold. You know, but uh, but yeah, yeah, Bundy did pop up on that one show. And uh, yeah, like you know, right in the main event, it's King Kong Bundy. I mean, you know, you're not gonna bring, he's gonna work your main event. But uh, but yeah, King Kong Bundy dead at 61, um, no cause of death. But uh, you know, like I told my mother, probably not a big mystery. Yeah, the heart's uh, probably yeah. Maintaining 400 pounds into your 60s is a little tricky. So 61 is not a bad run when you weigh 450 pounds. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, so big guy. Uh, for most of his life, and uh, and there you go. So that's King Kong Bundy. Uh, hopefully, I did a good job for you there with the. Yeah, uh, that was good stuff. I, I think this one's going to be unfortunately a little bit shorter because this is not a guy who's quite in our. You mentioned that your wheelhouse is like that, you know, mid eighties WWF. I don't think uh, this man was in your wheelhouse whatsoever. But uh, the Destroyer, uh, Dick Byer, also passed away. I believe that was today uh, that we're saying this. It was mentioned by his son on Facebook. Announced that his uh, father had passed away. Um, at the age of 88. So, I mean, we talked about Bundy, 61. You can't, there's nothing wrong with 88, man. We could all, <laughs> you know, want to live to 88. I'll that, sign that up is, for 88. That's yeah, 88 definitely. is a not a bad run whatsoever for the Destroyer. But, yeah, what do you know about the Destroyer? Uh, this is going to be a much shorter one, so just kind of letting people know about that. Cause... Well, I mean, the Destroyer, I mean, you're, when you think of the Destroyer, you think of All Japan. Right. I think that, that's the first thing you think of. From the earliest days of All Japan and, you know, famous matches with Giant Baba, all the way through. I mean, he was doing tours into the nineties. Yes, that's how, my first my first frame of reference for the Destroyer was when I was going back and watching, you know, the chronological of of, of all Japan. Is him popping up? Like he was still there in eighty eight, and I think he was still there until because I, I think I picked it up at eighty eight and watched it pretty much from there on uh, until like the mid nineties, and like he was there till ninety three, like the end of ninety three, and like you know he's old as hell, and it wasn't like you know, but he was. I think he was at some point teaming even with his son. Uh, who was kind of getting into wrestling. But yeah, I mean, he it, he was obvious that he was like older, but he was still doing stuff with with, with, yeah. with Baba, still teaming with Baba or whatnot. And like, yeah, even at that point, I mean, he's in his 50s and 60s at that point. And and it felt like a very a company that had passed him by in a lot of ways and a company that had sort of evolved past him. But still, it was kind of interesting to see him in there when you're watching. You're like, holy shit, there's fucking the Destroyer. And like, and it felt kind of out of place too. He was kind of a, you know, a, a relic of the past. Uh, for all Japan, but it was definitely pretty interesting still to see him, and that's kind of my first frame of reference. Uh, yeah, I mean, he went, 
he he was through all eras. Baba through Jumbo and then right into Masawa Kawada Kobashi. Yeah, oh, I mean, he's got matches against. I remember there was a match against Amori that I remember watching. And I was yeah. like, what? Like, what the hell? Or like, you know, in a way, I think he's doing matches against too. If I remember correctly, when I was watching it, it was just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, just an absolute legend in all Japan. And and you know, you go back super early. I know is Portland where he really made you know his first. And then of course he was AWA World Champion briefly as Mister X as Mister X. Um, not very long, but that's that was a famous title switch that the AWA did. Um, you know, of course, under the mask, and then you know, much more famous as the Destroyer with that super long All Japan run. And it's it's you know, a lot of people now you got to be into his style, but there's a lot of people who consider him a legitimate all time great. Now, you know, they call um. Uh, they call Neil Young. I don't even remember this, but like in the '90s, they referred to Neil Young as the Godfather of Grunge. I don't know if you remember that, like, like because he influenced all these grunge artists, particularly Pearl Jam, who did a lot of collaborations with Neil Young and things like that. So he was known as the Godfather of Grunge. I consider the Destroyer the Godfather of Grapplefuck. I mean, because that's really the style he worked. He was very technical. In his day, they called it scientific. You don't hear that anymore. You ever notice that? No one talks about scientific wrestling anymore. That kind of died out in the 90s. You know, uh, you know, you, you still hear about technical wrestling. And now, of course, everybody talks about grappling because of the MMA influence and right. all that. Everyone calls it grappling now. But in his day, they called it scientific wrestling. And even though he wore a mask, and even though he wore a mask with the big giant holes in it where you could see his busted up wide nose and you could see his big mouth with his missing teeth and his big eyes and his, he had an expressive face under the mask and all that. And even though he was like always just like a chubby guy, he looked like a barroom brawler. Oh, it looked like he could beat the fuck out of you. He looked like your yeah. uncle that you know could beat the hell out of you. Your uncle yeah. at 70 but could still whoop your ass if he needed to. We always Absolutely. talk about the tough the tough uncle handshakes where that's that one uncle that you, you dread that you show up at a party because he's gonna like crush your hand you don't want to shake his hand but you got to be nice it's you know it's your uncle but the dude's just gonna destroy your hand and he's in this like 80s and you're like oh god damn like my grandpa was that way until he died he would give the firmest fucking handshakes ever and i was like ow like stop yeah like, how are you doing that like you don't have to do that he, he he's you're dead on he's the 70 year old uncle with the navy anchor tattoo on his <laughs> yes arm. yes of course right on the forearm there and you know he's he's crushing beers and he's shaking hands and crushing your fingers. He's got and, a gold wristlet or the the little uh, uh, bracelet I want to say. I, I yeah, mean, you know, yeah. <laughs> he he smells like English leather cologne. <laughs> right. You know, like he he's or Stetson. He wears like Stetson cologne. He still fucks his wife even though they're in their seventies. Like he's he's that guy. You know, that's what that's what he comes off as. That's what he looked like. So you would think that he was like this Dick the Bruiser type wrestler by his look. Yeah, but. No, he was a very technical, scientific grappling. They didn't call it that. They called it scientific. He's like, and, and his gimmick was that he was intelligent, and that he was smart, and that he would outwit you in the ring, and he would he would he would be smarter than you with his holds, and he would submit you, and he had a uh, ironclad figure four that was unbreakable, and and he had counters to all of the holds, and I don't know if it's a perfect reference or analogy but he was kind of like a masked nick bockwinkle and that he was presented as someone who was smarter than you um you know he didn't have the erudite gimmick that bockwinkle had but it was the same along the same lines that he was a smart wrestler and um you know and and he he went through many of the different all japan eras and he's an absolute all japan legend 
And, uh, you know, he had a career that spanned probably from, I'm guessing, the early 50s. Like you said, he was doing all Japan tours well into the early 90s. And there's people who do consider him. If you're into that style, I always found him a little dry. I watched a lot of Destroyer for projects and things like that. And I didn't hate all of his ma- Some of his matches I flat out hated. I thought it was dry as sand and just boring as shit. Now, that should be no surprise to anyone who listens to the show. It's just not my preferred style. I found the guy very boring a lot of the time. I did find him creative, though. And he is credited uh, to inventing a lot of different holds and transitions and things like that. Uh, so he was an innovator in that way. He was a very creative wrestler. And there were some Destroyer matches that, that I did enjoy. Um, and there were some destroyer spots and things that I thought were, were, were very creative and very interesting. But for the most part, he's a guy that people would hype up and they would never meet the expectations for me because I'd just be bored as shit. I, I'm just not someone who likes to watch wrestlers, uh, you know, grapple and exchange holds. And I, you know, to me, that stuff's boring when it's real. It's even more boring when it's worked. I just, it, I don't get into it. Uh, but you know, if you're into that style, I mean, he's the godfather of grapple fuck. I mean, if you're a Hideki Suzuki fan or a Tim Thatcher fan or, you know, you like watching, you know, uh, the grappling tournament, Abu Dhabi grappling tournament or something, you'd probably love the Destroyer. And I highly recommend going back and watching this stuff because a lot of his matches are considered absolute classics. And if you dig that style, I don't have any doubt that you'll dig him because I will say he was very good for that style of wrestling. It's just not a style of wrestling that ever connected with me. Yeah, and there's a lot of it available as well. I think you can even go back to, I think there's a match against Ricky Dozan from like 1960, I want to say it's two crazy. or three, that, that is on there. And like, you can just find it. It's just on YouTube. Like, you can just search yeah. for it. I remember finding it a little bit earlier. It's, it's you know, it's 1962 wrestling and it's Ricky Dozan and the Destroyer. So don't like, you know, it's it's going to be long and it's going to take a while and it might not be the most exciting. But yeah, I mean, if it, and that's the thing that I think really stands out for him is, again, similar to Liger, when we talk about the, you know, Bundy was the opposite. Bundy was like a man that maximized the the very little amount of time he had in the spotlight. Destroyer, we're talking about 1963, you know, a match against one of the biggest legends in Japanese wrestling history. I think in one of the most watched matches ever or something like that. I forget what it was. It was like 70 million or 80 million people had seen it or whatever. And that was 1963. And then he wrestled until 1993, like consistently too. It's not like this guy went away for, you know, 20 years or whatever he was pretty consistently doing that so he was around forever so it's like another guy that you get to see a lot of through a lot of different eras and a lot of different legends it's just i'm kind of with you too every time i watched a match of his it was like i always thought he was going to be more of a badass than he was like you said he looks ugly he looks like he smells like stetson he's got you know his mask and it's kind of dirty and he's got like you know he's a big dude and he's hairy and you're like all right let's go and then he's just kind of like you know working the mat and i'm like oh <laughs> i want like you know i thought he'd brawl i want a brawler a little bit and he's not bad and, and that's fine that's just kind of how i always expected him to be and you think with the name the destroyer you're thinking oh my god this is, you know and he's not that he's, he's a little bit more methodical a little bit scientific as you said so you can be a little disappointed by it but you understand that that's kind of the era as well i mean that's that's what wrestling was for a lot of times uh during that and and you know he didn't change his style once the style kind of changed so he can kind of appear like uh, uh, as i said kind of a relic of a different era because he really was i mean this is a guy who who came up in the 50s and the 60s where where that style was a little bit more prominent and now he's you know still wrestling in the 90s against you know Takawa Mori or whatever when Mori's bouncing over the ropes and doing all this sort of stuff and he's still against you know the destroyer so but but i i think it speaks to the you know the the length of his career as well but yeah a lot of the stuff is up there on youtube uh, as well, if you want to find a bunch of people are tweeting stuff out there. But yeah, I think that Ricky Dozan match from 63 uh, is up there. I know a bunch of other stuff, too, against Baba. Uh, you can find pretty easily um, as well. So The thing about that style, it's like, you know, like Dory Funk Jr. too. Like, it's, it's an acquired taste, man. 
you either like it or you don't. Like there's Dory Funk Jr. matches, famous ones, where he would work a side headlock for 12, 13, 14, 15 minutes. And I'm not exaggerating. Like the match was built around Dory working a side headlock and the other guy trying to think of ways to get out of it. And some people are really into that. I would rather smash my face into the TV. I mean, I just can't take it after a while. Um, but, you know, the, the, look, I'd rather – I'll watch a Destroyer all day long before Dory Funk Jr. I'm, Dory Funk Jr. is one of my least favorite wrestlers of all time. But, you know, I don't think the Destroyer is quite as boring as, as peak Dory. But it's, it's definitely something where, you know, I do think it's a forerunner to a lot of the stuff that's trendy today. And I think people – who enjoy that style, if they really dug into the Destroyer, I think they'd really fucking dig them if they've never seen them before. So, you know, it's 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 one thing, like, just because someone's not my cup of tea, I can recognize if they're good at what they're doing. Do, do you know what I mean when I say that? It's it's like, um, you know, there there's it's the same thing. Like, sometimes there's comedians who I don't think are funny, but I know why, I understand and recognize why other people think they're funny. And it's kind of the same thing with wrestling too. I can recognize that the destroyer wasn't was very good at what at, at what he did. Yeah, I, oh, for I, sure. Yeah, and I understand why people think of it's him. like anytime I watch a Luthez match, I'm like bored within five minutes. I'm like, I, it's fine. I'm sure. <laughs> Just like you know what I mean. Like it's like he's very good at this, but I'm I'm gonna watch something else. Cause... And that's okay. I mean, wrestling offers something for everyone. Yeah, right, right. And 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 it's you know sometimes. You know, there's times we fuck around on this show, and you know we bury shit, and you know it, it's sometimes that there's a place for that. You know, and, and, and you know, when the guy died, that's not the place for it. You know, and and but but legitimately, I think he was he was he was very good in that style. So, so that is the destroyer and King Kong Bundy. Uh, too good. Uh, too good. Uh, this is a fun little. I mean, about an hour and a half talking about Lager Bundy and, you know, and destroyer. You know what's funny? Legends, I'm gonna man, tell you, you know, this is fun. Rich, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something. We used to shy away from these obituaries. We didn't touch them. I like doing them though. I do too. I think- yeah, I don't. I don't want guys to keep dying because it sucks. But it's it's in some ways, and and I mentioned this too. I felt really bad about saying it, but it was one of those things where, like, you know how people used to get when when, when somebody would die, people would be like anticipating Dave's write up sure. in the Observer, like, oh, you know, sucks that X died, but man, Dave is going to just kill it with this 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 you know right. obituary. Well, now like Bundy died, and I didn't want to say I was excited. That's not the right word for it, but I was like, oh, I can't wait to see what. WWE Network has in store for this because they do a good job now. Those guys, I mean, that 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 catalog of, of stuff that they have. When a guy that 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 did stuff with them passes away, they're almost always on the ready with a bunch of stuff, and that's like it's weird. Like I don't excited is not the right word, and that's the same thing about the show as well. Like I've liked that we do these now, but I don't like that we have to do them. You know what I mean? Like I don't know how to say that, but I think that we make the most of. Obviously, we can't change that the man passed away or whatever. But it's fun to kind of go back and talk about the history and talk about our connection to these guys. So no, I, I enjoy this. I mean, it, it. Some people might not like it; it might take up a lot of the show, but I don't care. It's our show, and it, I enjoy it. So listen, it beats talking about Gato's booking. Uh, yeah, right, the, right, right. The 19th straight <laughs> week. You know, it, it's like, and it's different, and 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 it's fun. And I think I've said the same thing that you've said. The network collections when people die now, I refresh until they put them up because they're they're excellent, and um, especially when it's a guy from an era that like we talked about earlier that like if it's an era that you grew up with it's it's fun to go rewatch that stuff that maybe you wouldn't have been motivated to go rewatch that stuff before you know what i mean i don't i, I can tell you the last time i went back and watched king kong bundy stuff you know but you know when they put that up yeah i'm gonna dig right in there's no question about it so so yeah for sure 
All right, so let's get to some other topics here. Before we do that, I do want to let you know this episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is sponsored by our friends at Mint Mobile. And Joe, there are a lot of things in life that aren't right. Carpet and showers, eating dip with your fingers, chunky style milk, and also paying too much for your phone bill. That's just not right. But thanks to Mint Mobile, you don't have to overpay for wireless anymore. They reimagined the wireless shopping experience, made it easy and online only, which means they can pass significant savings directly to you. For a limited time only, they are offering Two months free when you buy your first month. That's $20 total for three months of wireless. Joe, we talked about this a few weeks ago. You're paying astronomical fees for your fee, uh, your phone. I am as well. I'm paying upwards of $90 a month, sometimes 100 depending if I got a new phone or whatnot. That's too much. It's just insane. Thankfully, Mint Mobile has changed that. You do not need to pay that much more for wireless. Uh, this amazing deal is only here for a limited time. As we said, $20 total gets you three months of wireless service with eight gigabytes of 4G LTE data each month plus unlimited nationwide talk and text. You can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan. You can keep your old phone number along with all of your existing contacts. So it's nice and easy to do that. Mint Mobile runs on the nation's fastest and most advanced LTE network. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with a seven-day money-back guarantee. So try it for seven days. It does not work for you. Mint Mobile has you covered. Take advantage of Mint Mobile's amazing deal before it is gone. Pay just $20 for your first month of wireless and get in another two months for free by going to mintmobile.com slash VOW. That's mintmobile.com slash VOW to get three months of premium wireless service for just $20. Mintmobile.com slash VOW. All right, let's get to the Japan, uh, New Japan, I should say. <laughs> We've been talking Japan, but uh, let's talk about the New Japan Cup. Um, you know, it's it- funny how, um, you know, it's once again with the Destroyer, it's a, it's a good time to make the point. Now remember, New Japan is ruining Pearl with all these damn Gajans. I know these, yeah. you know. But the back in my day, was, <laughs> Destroyer was there for three decades at the a top of the card. Sharps, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fucking pearl was built on the backs of Gajans. Yeah, but yeah. They're, they're, they're new ruining the Vader, ruining the industry. Johnny Ace, you know. Steve Williams. Yeah, but some nineteen-year-old with an anime avatar is going to tell you. <laughs> gatekeeper, you got get, We need gatekeepers, Joe. I need you to stop watching this. This. That's right. I need to be gatekeeped. Yeah. yeah. I'm anyway, downloading for do free on extreme wrestling torrents, and yeah, tell me more. All right. Anyway, uh, <laughs> New Japan Cup. Let's talk about it a little bit. We did not get a chance to talk about it last week, and now we fucked around, and now it is starting. By the time some of you guys listen to this, so uh, some of these matchups we're going to talk about are going to be a little bit old. Uh, but yeah, I mean, as far as I don't think we've talked anything about the New Japan Cup yet. It is a thirty two wrestler tournament this year the most ever so usually they did 16 this is 32 it's the new japan cup debut of seven different wrestlers so quite the quite the giant tournament here what do you make of the the 32 uh versus the 16 do you, do you like it do you hate it what, what are your thoughts look i didn't know what to think of it when i heard about it but this everyone is hyped for this this turned out to be a tremendous idea and, you know, especially at the end of the anniversary show where they had the four big stars in the ring surrounding wow. Jay White. <laughs> I mean, that was – now, look, they looked like four, absolute dudes. I was going to get to that. I was going to get well, – don't you bash on Goto. I'm not going to listen to that, sir. Okay? I love me some well, – who, who are in the rings? Tell me – Tell me. okay. If you're going to throw four big stars in the ring, who That's are right. in the ring, Joe? Tell, people did not see the end of the anniversary show, which we're going to talk about in a bit. Who are those, those big stars? Well – um, all-time New Japan great Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yes, okay. Of course. Big star. Um, uh, modern, the biggest star 
of the modern era and a first ballot Hall of Famer coming off a legendary title run, Kazuchika Okada. Yes, who's still like 28 years old. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're, I think he's 30 now, but points. Oh, that's true. Yeah. We're going to go with that. Yeah. Your, your point stands. Um, one of the biggest stars in Japan over the last decade and a man who just uh, signed a two year deal um, with the company and a proven draw over the years in multiple Japanese promotions and one of the most marketable wrestlers in the world, Kota Ibushi. Would you agree well, with I can't, that? I, yeah, I can't argue with any of those three. Yeah. And then we had, um, <clears throat> uh, nine-time IWGP title challenger, <laughs> three-time New Japan Cup winner, former G1 winner, uh, multiple-time tag team champion, and the guy with some of the coolest and nastiest-looking offense in wrestling, Hiroki Goto. Can you dispute any of that, Mister? <laughs> I can't. No, it's you used accomplishments for everybody else, and then you used you know good moves for Goto. But uh, no, hold on, right. listen, you're title Goto challenger, man. title challenger. Let's go. What are we doing here? But listen, no, I, no, I like men... Goto. I like Goto. He's just a geek. He's just a giant fucking geek. I how mean... many other men have challenged for that title that many times? Do you know the answer to that question? <laughs> well, he's never won it, though. I mean, yeah, cool. Like he's the, the Buffalo Bills of New Japan cool like i you know i'm disgusted i like the buffalo bills i like a little thermon i'm glad <laughs> that you're gonna get the heat i know i'm gonna get the heat people are very I'm upset when you when, when you say i like goto but he's a geek like we can admit it right no haruki goto's great no i mean he's pointing to his chest and it's like oh get out of here <laughs> you don't enjoy that man's work no i love the man's work he's got some of the best and most uh, you know unheralded matches uh and underrated matches in during this hot new japan run 2012 to now you know goto stuff you know you look back at some of these matches and they're just forgotten because they may not have been at the top of the card but uh you know this guy's awesome i don't know what your problem is with goto <laughs> I don't have a problem. I don't he's, just a geek. he's just a geek it's fine and i think it says something that they put him in the ring for that spot don't you think it, it, it says something about it? Does. No, I mean, it, 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 it hints towards hopefully him doing something in this tournament. And, that, and, and it, 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 popped, it popped me a little bit because we're going to talk about that, that standoff at the end of, of the 40th, 47th anniversary because I think it plays a huge part uh, in a lot of the stuff that I think is going to happen in this New Japan Cup. I don't know if I'm working myself into a shoot with that, but no, it's significant. We talk about it. They never do anything just on purpose. Like, Goto wasn't just there because he was there and they said, ah, you know, go out there, kid, whatever. Like, knock yourself out. Like, there's, there's no way. He's in there for a purpose. And I think there's another purpose as well. And it's going to kind of, influence uh what we're gonna talk about here with this cup a little bit okay but, yeah, but wouldn't it be the most goto thing if he like loses in the first yes round? <laughs> it would absolutely be like he points to his chest that he just fucking loses <laughs> just like immediately no but this 32 man thing was a great idea i mean it, it's got people talking it's got people wondering you know who's gonna it, it has a a tremendous stakes with the main event of Madison Square Garden on the line. It has this tournament has some panache, you know, and it's got some juice. This is much better than the old, you know. They put sixteen guys in it, and the, and three or four of the big stars would get upset in the first round, mm-hmm. and we all kind of got used to that pattern. And this is different. You've got the big stars. You've got a couple young lions. You've got new guys coming into the company. You've got the mid-carters, the feisty mid-carters looking for a big run. And there's so much they can do here. Obviously, a, a big star is going to win because you're not headlining MSG with fucking battle. Cocabana. <laughs> Cocabana. Yeah. But, 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 you, but, you, but because the tournament's so vast and so long, you have a chance where you can have a couple guys go on a run and elevate them in the process. Yeah. And you can have a couple of big matches here which set the scene for the rest of the year and start rivalries or even end rivalries or, you know, renew old rivalries. This is exciting. I think this is a really – I was skeptical. I thought it, the idea on paper was bloated. 
but the way that it's laid out, it, it really looks great. And I think we're going to do a gimmick here, which was your cockamamie idea, where uh, you and me are going to predict the entire tournament, but we must come to a consensus on each match. We cannot. So we may end up arguing about some random second round match and all of the other topics end up being shelved because we spent 40 minutes trying, <laughs> trying to, to figure out if, if, if Yoshi Hachi is beating Juice Robinson in right, round two. Okay. Right. So we're going to try this. Yeah. Well, it might, it might be a disaster, but we'll, we'll, we'll find out. So yeah, obviously we're doing the new Japan cup pick them. Uh, by the time you listen to this, the, uh, it'll be closed. So there's no point in doing that, but we have 607 people uh, that have joined. So if chances are, if you wanted to be in this, you're probably already in it, but uh, yeah, I'm going to do, uh, I've not filled out my bracket yet. So we are doing a show bracket here so i'm going to start uh this uh these first four that we're going to talk about these matches will have already happened um so don't really you know we're not going to go into excruciating detail about these because they will have already happened but we still have to predict them uh first one here we're going to start out with yuji nagata and tomohiro ishii that's the hardest one of the four we're going to do it's going to be tough it's tough because this is you could you could justify an upset for nagata ishii's a pushed quote-unquote commodity but he can just as easily lose this too and they don't this was supposed to happen in the US. Right. And they put the match here. I gotta go with Ishii though. I don't I'm going I Ishii through. Okay. okay. All right. So that's we'll cool. Through. I'm more comfortable doing that as well. Okay. Tomiyaki Hanma versus Taichi. What a barn burner this one's gonna be. This is gonna be ugly. It's gonna <laughs> suck. And I don't see any way they want Hanma having two matches. Nah. Here, so I'm going with Taichi. Taichi as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm joining you. So okay, so no, no dissension so far, but uh this might start it here. Manabu Nakanishi versus Yoshihashi. You know, this is a perfect spot to put Nakanishi through. It, it, it really is. But um, looking at the next bracket, I, 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 I'm, I think Yoshihashi uh, puts him away. Okay. I have I, I had a, a, a little bit of Nakanishi in my head, but I think, given again, like the similar thing that you meant to Hanma, I don't think they want Nakanishi having two matches either. He's kind of there to, to, to put Hashi over. So that's fine. I'm okay with that. Uh, this one's going to be tough because I think this one could be an interesting one. Juice Robinson versus Chase Owens. Now, before you immediately go to Juice, I know he's the right. champion, but you could set up a future title match here. With Chase. Absolutely. And this is the kind of shit they like to do in New Japan mm-hmm. Cup, where they throw these curveballs at you. And it's perfect in this case. Okay. I was just throwing it out there, but I'm glad you're, 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 you're taking the bait a little. I, I'm just thinking, you know. Yeah, in this case, it's perfect because, like you said, this is the U.S. champ, and it's another U.S. wrestler, and you know they like Chase. Chase scores a million falls in these tag team matches, so maybe this is – look, it's not a big-time elevation to challenge for the U.S. title, but shit, I got to tell you, I think we should pick our first upset here. Let's I think do it, Chase. Yeah, yeah, there it is. Chase Owens moving on in the second round. So, right. yeah, that's awesome thing about this 32 is, like, you have months' worth of storylines now from this tournament. Yeah. Like, everything you can do here. All right, we're going to move now. So now all these are going to be authentic matches that have not happened yet uh, by the time you're listening to this. Uh, Okada versus Elgin. Yeah, I mean, these guys have had really good matches in the past, but there's no fucking way Okada's no. losing in the first no, round. God, so no, we don't no. need to talk about this. No, he's going to move on here. Uh, new, uh, we have we have not talked about this guy yet. Mikey Nichols, New Japan star. Man. Mikey Nichols, Chaos Stables' own Mikey Nichols has returned to Japan, and he is New Japan property now. What do you think about Mikey Nichols now as in New Japan? Mad Mikey Nichols. He's going to be doing some kind of different gimmick. He's part of Chaos. He's had a couple matches in Australia to knock the rust off, which I've gotten very different reviews on some people have loved it some people have not liked it at all 
We'll see what he does in New Japan. Um, he's going to beat Hikuleo. I mean, yes, I think. Yeah, we'll move. Him. I'm just going to move. I'm going to drag him over right now because I think, yeah, there's no question he's going to win that one. Yeah, they're not going to knock him off in his in his uh, debut with. The, well, <laughs> he's wrestled in the company before, obviously. I mean, right, right. We talked about last week how he came up in the dojo, you know, in the early 2000s with all those other dudes and kind of lost his way, ended up in Noah, but now he's back. And um, look, good on him escaping WWE and backdooring his way into New Japan. I just need Shane Thorne to find his way out of there. And I don't think Sh- listen, I don't think Shane Thorne's far behind. I know I've hinted at it strongly behind the paywall, but from everything I hear and from everyone I talk to, I, unless they do something with him and do it quickly, he's a frustrated guy, and I think he's chomping at the bit. And I think New Japan would take him in a second. What a disaster that run was with those guys. And they try, like, I, I, I'm not going to say they didn't try because there were some times where they did. But yeah. injuries and some other things got in the way. But then it just never felt like they could gain any momentum. So I don't want to say it's totally that they didn't try. I don't know that they tried their they gave their best effort. Not not these guys. I think WWE. I don't know if they gave their best effort. But there was a lot of circumstances too that just didn't. I don't know. It, it was just a weird relationship from the beginning. Injuries at the wrong times. There's never a right time for an injury, but their injuries came at the wrong times. And look, Rich, we are privy. We saw. We literally saw the stuff that they were pitching to their bosses. They were trying. And they were pitching ideas. And they were pretty good ideas. You remember that stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was some really good stuff. They weren't bad ideas, right? And it's just – it. what it shows me is it really highlighted the frustrations that wrestlers go through in that company, trying to get noticed and trying to get ideas uh, passed on to the people that matter. They had some good ideas. They wanted to get pushed. They were pitching their own shit, which is what they tell everybody to do. And it just never happened for them. And unfortunately, the best the, – the, the most enduring moment for them – was the Dusty Classic final against yes. uh, yep. AOP, where I thought they did a tremendous job putting over a, what, what at the time was a very green tag team in, in, in Authors of Pain. And really, ultimately, that's going to prove to be the highlight of the run uh, for that team, uh, losing the finals of that. It was all downhill from there. Yeah. They tried to turn them heel towards the end. They were wearing trench coats and long tights. And listen, I thought they did great heel work. I used to brag on them. And, and say how great they were doing on the TV reviews, uh, but they never gained any momentum or got any kind of push. But they they adjusted the working heel like amazingly well for two guys that had worked babyface for a decade. I thought it was phenomenal uh, how well they had transitioned to heel. But the company never got behind them. Nichols said, you know, he did the jerk off motion and said, I've had enough of this. I'm going to say I'm going home to, uh, you know, and time with his family in Australia and then immediately yeah. and, then, to Japan. Yeah. and here's the thing. We were told immediately he was going to be in New Japan in March. Yeah. So it's like it's not even he just fucking backdoored his way in. He adios to that company the best way he knew how. And I wouldn't be surprised if some it's harder to do that now. But he pulled it off before all the AEW stuff. So it was good timing. And here we go. And I got to tell you, you know, that Trent spot, I think Trent would have gotten a pretty significant push if he stuck around. They had oh, absolutely. Oh, they did. Oh, no, no, no. They definitely had plans for Trent. And I think Nichols can slide right into that spot. It's an open spot. It's another English-speaking guy that they could use on the U.S. shows. Um, you know, so he's going to beat Hikuleo here for sure. But, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, to talk a little bit about Nichols, which we haven't had a chance to do, that, that's, the, that's the score with him. All right, move on to our next match here. We got Will Ospreay versus Bad Luck Folly. Does Ospreay move on? It's it's this is another one where I could see them doing an upset. I I'm thinking Ospreay given the momentum he's had so far. But I I'm, li- see- I'm open to it. I'm open to a an argument yeah. if you want. I could see the upset here, but um, Will Ospreay, and we'll talk about it more when we review the anniversary show. It's full steam ahead. It is full steam ahead with this guy. 
he's not only moving up the heavyweight, he's a future main eventer. Um, and we'll talk more about him later. But yeah, because of what I saw in the main event and the post-main event of that yeah. anniversary mm-hmm. show where they get something they never do, and we'll talk about it later, I think I'm more confident now he's going to win. Yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. And, and the exact reason why you mentioned, too, at that 40, 47th anniversary, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This guy's not – he's not losing. This guy – yeah, this is a mega push for this guy. It's the rocket ship is on him. So, yes. all right, move on now. Toa Hanari versus Lance Archer. This is a very interesting one. Archer, obviously, the more established guy. Toa Hanari, kind of the pseudo-young lion, a little bit above young lion status. I, this, I, I don't know, man. I could see an upset from Toa Hanari here. I, I don't know. What do you think? I want Toa Hanari to win because I'm waiting for this guy to get pushed, but we know it takes a long time for New Japan yeah. to get behind guys. And I know this guy's good, and he's going to be good, but I just don't see him winning here. I think what we're seeing here is they want you to see Will Ospreay beat these giant men. He's going to beat Fale, and he's going to beat Lance Archer, and then he's going to lose to Okada. That's how I see it. Now, I'm not trying to jump ahead. No, I got that- you. No, no, it makes sense. Yeah, because that, that they're going – Osprey is going through the land of giants right now. Yes. He's going through the, uh, he's not just a high flyer, but he's an ass kicker, you know, of all types. He, he, he'll punch a guy out. He'll kick a guy out. He'll, he'll brutalize guys. And now he's a giant killer too, is what I think. And yeah. They're, yeah sure. And they're giving him the pick, two biggest dudes in the tournaments beat. I mean, I think that's obvious what we're seeing here. And, uh, you know, he pinned Jeff Cobb. Remember we blew that last week. We totally blew that. We yeah. Said, well, whatever, you know, but, but yeah, look, we got a cop three to hours. it. Three hours. You know what I mean? We'll get some stuff wrong. Yeah. We fucked up, but it was Osprey who pilled, who, which was still equally puzzling, but I I think they'll have a singles match in MSG, uh, or at least that would make sense. But yeah, to pin a guy like Cobb and beat him with your finish, and I think he's going to go through Fale and then go through Archer. So I'm going to take Archer against Sonari. All right, that's fine. Uh, Tanahashi versus Uminu. Man, this is going to be good. I can't wait. And for I'm this. curious how much Tanahashi gives him. Obviously, we're picking the same guy. Yes, yeah, it's, but it's obviously uh, Uminu. No, I'm just joking. Of course. I mean, and look, there's a lot of symbolism in this matchup too. I mean. Look, it's not Ren Narita. It's not Ayato Yoshida. It's Shota Uminu who's getting this spot. Not only in the tournament, but against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Rich, that's not an accent. Oh, no. I don't know. So, you know, obviously Tanahashi's going to win, but I'm curious how much he's going to give him. And um, that's a match I'm going to watch very, very closely. I can't wait for this. Yeah, Umino's great, and and yeah, we always talk about guys that could skip uh, an excursion and just become guys. Like he's a dude that could do that. I mean, they're not going to do that, but I I, I really do think he's a guy that like if they wanted to, you know, you know they, I think I'd want to send him away. I think I, I would want, too because I think you yeah. can get more out of him. I think yeah. you, now if you just bring him up, he's just like a dude on the roster, which is fine. Like you, right. you know, a good solid hand, a good mid, but you, he can come back and be a star if he goes away for a little bit. So, so he's I'm a guy with you, you on that. To- He's he's the perfect guy for an excursion because you want to wash the stink off him of losing. And you bring him back, and he immediately beats a big star in his first match mm-hmm. if you really want to make him. But um, similar to what they did with Jay White, you know, well, Jay White lost that match, but um, similar idea where you bring him back as a major star and make it known that he's a major star. He's the kind of guy that can be that. Uh, this is not the point for him right now, though. But uh, all right, we'll move on now. Tenzan versus Taguchi. Taguchi uh, replacing David Finley in this tournament. And I'll just say, Taguchi has said he wants to be the 60. He, he did everything he could to be the 69th uh, junior heavyweight champion. We are, if he wins the IWGP heavyweight championship, he will be the 69th uh, IWGP heavyweight champion. So Taguchi, this is his run. If anyone's going to do it, and this is the time for Taguchi. Is he doing it here? Is he beating Tenzan? I think Tenzan's winning this. Oh, I don't know. 
You, you think you think they're going to do now? Taguchi Tanahashi would be a real interesting match. I, I want that. I think that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to give you a little bit of Taguchi, uh, Taguchi Hope spot here. But did I you could, think? Did you think Finley was beating Tenzon? No, I didn't. I did. So see, that's why I would lean Tenzon because I think why change it? Yeah, but I think it doesn't really matter to the second. Like now, I think you can sort of not care. Like you know, because he's going to probably lose to Tanahashi. We we know that. So it didn't really matter. Like I, I thought Tenzon was going to probably beat Finley. But now I think that they can probably switch that and just say, yeah, Taguchi beat him. And then, because I think Taguchi and Tanahashi is a much better semifinal uh, than is. Tenzan and obviously Tanahashi. And I think Tenzan doesn't gain anything from it. And Taguchi might get something there a little bit from beating Tenzan. And then at least All right. I, will, to... I will defer to you. Okay. We'll... It's probably wrong. It might be wrong. I just we'll kind of want it. On. We'll do this, it. I'm this... not dying on Tenzan's hill. That's We're... fine. That, that's, this is a me pick more than like a logical pick. I just, I want it. They're gonna we're going to argue next time because he's going to the semis, Joe. He's going to the finals, baby. <laughs> well, they're going to get harder as we move along. I'm going to give you this one. Okay, we'll all right. To- no, we're going to we're going to f- throw down on the t- Tanahashi Taguchi when we get there. No, we're, we're probably not. All right, this one's going to be tough. I don't, man. This this is real tough here. Kotobushi Tetsuya Naito. I I have a theory on this one, but I'm curious on what you're thinking initially, and then I'll see if I can either argue you down or or agree with you. Abushi Naito. I don't think it's hard. I think Abushi's winning. Okay. Well, there you go. So we got nothing there. Um, how significant? A lot of people are saying, how come? You, well, you need main events for these shows. That's why you have matches like this. Right, right. Of course. So, I mean, but a lot of, no, but a lot of people don't understand that. So, you know, we, we need to explain that. Like you see, okay, well, why is Tanahashi get this easy? You're looking at it like a sport. Don't look at it like <laughs> Yeah, that. right. It's not a draw. <laughs> see, Kadani hates Naito. We gave him. <laughs> you got to have main events, you know, so you got to draw people to these shows. So you got to do like some of these matches have to be drawing matches, but. Um, and it, no, I just think, I don't think, um, you know, Naito wasn't in that little fucking foursome of guys nope. in there. and there, there's that. And, and that really wouldn't have fit his character anyway, to be honest. But, um, you know, I don't think Naito, I think his charge, his push comes later on. And I don't think a Naito Jay White match really makes any sense anyway. So. You know, I think Abushi is is the one that goes through. What's your theory on? Yeah, it? definitely Abushi, and I think I I don't know if I'm working myself into a shoot here, but I think it was significant that Jay White beating down Will Ospreay at the end of that 47th anniversary show, and who slides in wearing a suit, holding a chair, Kotobushi. Kotobushi is the yeah. first one you see visually standing up to Jay White. Yeah, you know, Osprey is a guy who put him out with a concussion, but he doesn't care. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's more that he wants to stop Jay White. I, I don't know, man. I, I I saw that and I was just like, oof, I don't know. Yeah. Like, it, it, I'm, and we got to think MSG too. If we think about the booking of an MSG too, there's a lot of guys on this show that that, or there's a lot of guys in this tournament that that would do well against Jay White in a main event. But how many of those are you going to want to give away uh, on MSG? How many of those have you already done? You, you know, you've already done a Tanahashi versus Jay White. Does Tanahashi need to be in that spot? Probably not. You it's know. also a show that's already sold out, though. So, right, 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 right. Uh, and we could do that later as we pick, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll go ahead, but yeah, I'm. We're, I'm gonna. I'm gonna do a lot of arguing for Kotobushi as we move forward. Well, it, so, will he win the whole thing? I don't know. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to it. But uh, so Bushi through. All right, Evil Zack Saber Jr. Man, now to me, this is a very hard one. Yeah, this is a toss up for me. This, this is, is a very hard one. Yeah. The problem is, I, I mean, if Evil wins, it'll really. It, is this happening on the same show as Abushi Naito? I. Don't believe. Uh, yes, no, it is. It is. It is. Yes. So this match will tip off the winner of the man. I don't think they're going to do Naito Evil. I mean, it's not unheard of, but I don't think that they would do that. Um, but I think Abushi's going to win anyway. Um, 
I, I don't know. My gut's telling me Zach Sabre Jr. I am too. I'm, I'm leaving Sabre as well. So well let's put that. him through. Let's put All him right. through. Man, Sabre versus Kotobushi. That's going to be a hell of a yeah. match in the next round. All right. Togi Makabe versus Colt Cabana. Yeah. I mean, you know. You, you know, know what match is happening next. I don't even. I, I, if you yeah, think that this match is not <laughs> happening, you can argue all you want, but you know goddamn well what match is happening in the second round. Uh, you, know, you know, Colt, he's got that European <laughs> wrestling technique. You know, yeah. it's uh, he might be too much for the Unchained Gorilla. Yeah, but you're right. It's. Uh, Togi Makabe is not losing to an ROH announcer. Oh, uh, I don't. mm, Oh, we're going to argue then. No, I'm saying that there's a semifinal match happening. Oh, uh, there definitely is. I think we got different ideas then. Because what is what is your idea? Wait wait a minute, semifinal. You think Togi? Not semifinal. No, 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 no. Second round. Second round. Yeah. I think they're doing Togi Makabe Toroyano. Oh, you're out of your mind if you don't think they're doing Cole Cabana and Toroyano. Out of oh, your goddamn yeah. mind. Are you kidding? Over I think they're doing the MVP teammates against oh, each other. Okay. Okay. I, that, okay. Because they have hinted that Colt and, and, and Yano are, are friends. Yes, they have. So I could see that. I, I, the, uh, Rich, I'm going to sell you on this one. Okay. T- please do. Do you logically see Togi Makabe <laughs> losing to Colt Cabana? I no. Mean, do I you don't. really see that happening? You know, one roll up. You said he's got the European style. He could just roll him up out of nowhere and the Unchained Gorilla won't even see it coming. So. I think Makabe Yano, it possibly main events a smaller show in the second round. All right, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll let you have this one because you let me have the uh, Taguchi. Okay. But if you're wrong, I'm gonna, you're gonna hear about this one. So all right, well I'm going, we'll, we'll put Makabe through, which means we're putting Yano through. Yeah, well, Yano's coming through. David Boy is not winning that one. So yeah. sorry, sorry, buddy. Um, Kojima versus Minoru Suzuki, another great match, huh? Oh yeah. And then, you know, Goto Sonata underneath it as yeah, we wrap right, up right, the right. first round. I mean, man. Um, yeah, I, I oh, man, I want to pick the strongest arm. I really do. <laughs> you know, it's fine. But He's Suzuki's winning that match. Yeah. Now, Goto, your boy, pointing to his chest. Obviously, he's winning. It's going to be me. It's going to be me, baby. I mean, they, they, but would they knock out all three LIJ guys? That's in the what I'm first saying. Round? We have not selected a single IJ guy yet. So. But I can't pick against Goto since he was in the ring. <laughs> Can we go back and put Evil through instead of Saber? You want to go that? You want to retroactively throw Evil in front of... Okay, I'll do that. Because, yeah, you're right. There's no way you're that... Uh, all three. No, no. But Goto should hopefully win that. He, if he doesn't win this, I'm going to come on the show next week or whatever and tell you he's an all-time geek. If he pointed at his fucking chest and lost in the first round, will you agree with me that he's an all-time geek? No. Okay, that's fine. We're gonna have that argument anyway. All right, so we so got our Goto second through, round. Yeah, I'll, and, we're put, and, and Zach is back out. We're putting Evil through. Okay, okay. Evil is has been replaced. Okay, all right. Second round here, we got Ishi versus Taichi. Yeah, I think Ishi moves through. Okay, ooh man, that'd be hellacious if Taichi makes it through, because then we have a we've been, we've made a scenario. Taichi's not making it through, but if he does, in the off chance, we would have a Yoshihashi. For, Chase Owens, which is our next second round matchup. One of those guys versus Taichi. My God, can you? Yeah, not Good all. God! All right, but anyway, we have ha- Yoshihashi and Chase Owens. Okay, now here's my th- theory on this. Are you doing Chase? Because I'm on if, the Chase train, baby. Let's go. If you're gonna have Chase beat Juice Robinson, why would Damn you have right. Yoshihashi? Yep. yep. No, he's he's making it all the way there, man. But this is what I'm talking about. There's gonna be a couple guys that get runs in this thing that you're not expecting. So let's put Chase through 
against Tomohiro Ishii to the quarterfinals. Yeah, the, the reason I use that is like last year, I think it was, what was it, Juice, I think, made it to the either the second round or the third round or whatever. I, I, they do that every so often. They'll throw a guy in there that kind of makes a hope spot run. You know, it's Yano, I think, a few years ago did that as, as well. So, no, I, I think he seems like the best guy. And like you said, you're, you, if, if he's winning that match against Robinson and you want to establish him as a challenger for the U.S. title, it's a great way to do it. It's Yoshi fucking Hashi. Who cares? You know, That's right. He shouldn't lose to Yoshi Hashi. He should lose to Ishii down the line. Yes, yeah, exactly. That, that's acceptable. All right, Okada versus Mikey Nichols. Chaos explodes already. <laughs> yeah, so I think they're going, like I talked about before, I think we're going to get Okada Osprey. Do you disagree with that? I don't. No, I think that's definitely where we're going. Okay. So we'll Ishii Okada. and Owens ain't drawn on whatever show they're at. So yeah, they need to, they definitely need to do that. So yeah, Osprey's beating Archer and, and Okada's, of course, beating Nichols. So. Right, because again, we're going to need main events for these shows. And right. Good main event with Will Ospreay, Kasuchika Okada. Yeah, Mikey Nichols and Osprey is not uh, not main eventing a right. show, unfortunately. So, all right, Tanahashi versus Taguchi. Yeah, I, you know Tanahashi, I got to. Pick- <sighs> you're you're a, you're a coward. Do you think Taguchi's beating Tanahashi? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Well, but- jeez. Oh, Okay. How awesome would it be, though? What a moment. What a moment for, for asses everywhere. Would, yeah, yeah. You know what? I wouldn't mind it. Tana I'm not going to bet it. Like, that's not something you bet, but you wouldn't be upset if you lost that bet. You know what I mean? Like, you would be, you'd rip up that ticket and be like, that's fine. Cool. Yeah. All good for me. But yeah, I, I like the Taguchi hope spot there, but uh, I can't in good conscience bet that, uh, unfortunately. Uh, then we got Kotobushi versus Evil. I think it's a pretty easy pick for Kotobushi as well. Yeah. How can we put Evil through when we didn't even put him through the first round? <laughs> exactly. We have no confidence. Our confidence level, if we did a confidence pool in this, Evil is definitely at a zero, unfortunately. But uh, uh, Togi Makabe, Toro Yano, what a... Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I got to put... See, the bottom quarter of this is like the never open weight quarter. All these guys that used to slug each other for the never title. Makabe, Goto, Suzuki. So I'm going to put Makabe through here. What do you think? All right. Yeah, I'm fine with with Makabe. I don't think I know it's going to go through that far. Uh, Minoru Suzuki versus Hiroki Goto. Yeah. um, They don't seem to be. Don't forget he's a geek. Don't forget. He is, but they don't seem to be doing much with Suzuki right now. No, no. He's definitely been cycled down. So I, I think Goto wins this one. Yeah, I think Goto wins as well. Because Goto Makabe is a much better match anyway. So, right, so go over our quarterfinals. What do we? Oh, have? quarterfinals. The top is a little ghastly there, but hey, Tonor Ishii versus Chase Owens, and then we also have Okada versus Will Osprey. That's uh, the top of the bracket. Bottom of the bracket, we have Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi, Togi Makabe and Hiroki Goto. I think that's a pretty solid little semis there. So, all right, let's. Uh, so we've got our 16 seed here on the Cinderella run with Chase Owens. So we've got Chase Owens versus Tomohiro Ishii, and I think this is where the dream ends. Yeah, the dream ends here. Ishii Ishii moves through, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, any, what, what are the chances that Chase comes through? Is there any? Do you put it at zero? Zero. Zero. Yeah, I don't think there's a way that it happens either. All right, Okada versus Will Ospreay. Yeah, this is where it ends for Ospreay, and this is an acceptable guy for him to lose to if they're pushing him as a main eventer later this year. Right. It's if okay to lose to Okada and get a handshake afterwards. You know what I mean? And that's yes. fine. Yeah. So. All right, Tanahashi versus Kota Ibushi. This, I think, is an interesting one. I think a lot of people are probably going to get hung up on this one. I think it's pretty easy. Where do you think? I think Ibushi. Yeah. Yeah, I think Tanahashi, he just won the title earlier this year and, and had his little thing. It's too early to push him back into like winning something like this. The Unchained Gorilla, Togi Makabe versus Hiroki Goto. Yeah, I listen, I think... Uh, I think Goto gets through again. Yeah, you, you really you work yourself into a shoot with it pointed at the chest. So, but you're right. There's no reason for him to be in that ring pointing at his chest without him 
getting to, to at least this. They're they're building him up to, to, to be a reasonable contender for this. And I agree with yeah. you. I'm gonna I'm gonna move Goto over uh, as well. All right. So now we have our finals in the top and the bottom of the bracket. We have the top of the bracket, Tomohiro Ishii and Okada. Oh my god, injected into my veins. Are you kidding? God. Yeah. Well, I happen to think Okada's winning the whole tournament, so I'm gonna pick him to beat Ishii. Oh, uh-oh, we're gonna have a <laughs> we're gonna have an argument here. All right. Uh-oh. All right, because I got Abushi beating Goto. I think you have Abushi beating Goto as well, right? Uh yeah, Abushi. Okay, over- okay, okay, cool. All right, now we're gonna have to argue. Okada Abushi, your New Japan Cup finals. The floor is your I'll I'll let you argue in favor of Okada. You know, they could do Okada Goto, but I'm not going to push for it because I think Goto, as always, is the perfect guy to lose a tournament final. Um, but for the sake of this, let's give people the more exciting final and a debate. I think Okada is winning the tournament because I believe Kenny Omega when he says if he would have re-signed, he was going to lose the title to Okada at Madison Square Garden. So I think they're going to stick with that plan. And I think Okada is going to beat Jay White for the title at MSG WrestleMania weekend. I think they're going to want to give the Madison Square Garden New York crowd a IWGP heavyweight title change with their top guy. And I think that's how you get the title back on Okada to set up Tetsuya Naito's G1 win and then have Naito win the title on one of those two Tokyo Dome shows. That's the year I'm laying out for the IWGP title. So that's why I think Okada wins the new japan cup it's a good one and and it's a very good argument and, and that's where i was that's where i was pretty much until i saw the 47th anniversary show and and part of me i don't know there the, i i'm probably working myself into a shoot but i think there was just some sort of symbolism there with the bushi being the guy that slid into the ring and and and, and faced off with jay white but that has to you know when, when i say that if, if a bushi came through here and a bushi is in your main event of of MSG that now assumes that he's not going to win the title because I don't think he would win the title. If it, it, in this scenario, Okada would beat Jay White. Okada would win the New Japan Cup and beat Jay White. I don't believe that Ibushi would win the New Japan Cup and beat Jay White for the title. And now I'm kind of like, and and that's where I kind of thought about it a little bit. I saw the 47th anniversary. I saw Ibushi run out. I saw him with that chair, and I went, "That's it. Ibushi's winning the New Japan Cup." But like you said, and, and the more I was kind of thinking about it, and the more I was kind of debating it and and running it through my head, I was like. Do they really want MSG people to go home with Jay White, you know, dastardly winning the title no. over Kota Bushi? They don't, right? Like they don't, and they they want that to be. It. And, and I really truly believe that New Japan understands the significance of them being in Madison Square where, Square Garden and oh, yeah. selling that arena out. Yeah, our is there too, but <laughs> you know, you know, hey, hey, shout out ROH. Hey, welcome to the party. But ROH is there because ROH got them in the building. Let's exactly right. If they could, you know, ROH is like the person you use to get into the party because you don't know the person throwing it, but then you don't hang out with that person once you're at the party. Like, like if they could, they would just throw, they would, not include ROH in any of this, but they needed ROH to get in the building. Exactly, right. So this, I mean, the symbolism of New Japan in Madison Square Garden, in that big arena, it just makes all the sense in the world. And and, and you and I, I think are on the same booking pattern as well, is that Naito's going to win the G1, and it's going to be Okada and Naito at, at next year's Kingdom, right? We're both on that same. Yeah. So we're working ourselves backwards that way. So that's where I want to pick Ibushi. I really wanted to come here and argue and say, oh my God, it's got to be Ibushi. It's going to be Ibushi. It's going to be, it has to be. Uh, he slid in and all this sort of But I just can't because I don't know the scenario of MSG. And that's a big deal. When they said that this is going to be the main event of Madison Square Garden, this is going to be the match, I cannot in my head imagine Kota Ibushi in that main event losing to Jay White. I can imagine those two in the main event 
But I, I, I can't imagine Ibushi winning the title, and I can't imagine Jay White retaining the title at MSG. So with that being said, I am going to go Okada with this one. I wanted to argue it. I really felt that I could have argued it. I just can't, though. You know, it, it just makes all the sense in the world for it to be Okada. And I, 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 too, I do believe that the story of Jay White is basically being told, or the story of Ken Omega is basically being told by Jay White, and, and, and this is what was going to happen. And it makes all the sense in the world for Okada to get the title now, have a little bit of a run with it, do stuff throughout the summer, and then, of course, Naito wins the G1, goes on to Wrestle Kingdom and faces him. So the only scenario where that works and it doesn't become a little convoluted is Okada winning here. So I'm going to go with Okada. I wanted to debate it. I wanted to argue it, but uh, it's tough. And if it's Okada, he has to win. He's not going to lose a Jay White twice in a row. No, no, absolutely not. And I have no reason not to believe Kenny Omega. What does he have to gain by telling people the booking plans when he just signed a four-year, was it a four-year deal with AEW? Yeah. He has nothing to gain. There's no political game to be played by telling Dave Meltzer off the air that the plan was to lose the title to Okada and MSG. There's nothing. See, when wrestlers talk, you have to think, okay, when you're trying to figure out if something's a work, you have to figure out what they have to gain by. Yeah, what, by what benefits do they have by saying right. whatever they're going to say? There is no benefit to Kenny Omega telling Dave Meltzer that. None. Because he's already signed, sealed, and delivered to AEW for four years. So I, I don't believe he's – I believe he's being truthful. I believe that was legitimately the plans. And then there was also talk where we heard that Jay White, for however long, was going to step into Kenny Omega's booking plans. Everything they had laid out for Omega was going to be given to Jay White. And, and it all just makes too much sense. And then once Okada wins the title back at MSG, then you can move on with whatever you were going to do with Jay White. Otherwise, he can step out of Kenny Omega's shoes at that point. And it actually worked out good for New Japan because it established Jay White as a top-tier caliber championship caliber wrestler. Mm -hmm. And you wouldn't have been able to do that had Kenny Omega stayed because Omega would have retained against Tanahashi and lost to Okada. And you never would have gotten it because this is not going to be Jay White's definitive title run. He's going to lose it this year because you're not going to headline those dome shows with Jay White as champion. So I personally think Jay White's big future with the company, and people aren't going to like this who don't like Jay White because a lot of people don't like Jay White, is as a babyface. I think eventually he becomes a babyface and a big babyface star. Once this thing runs its course, the switchblade thing. So I don't think this is going to be – I listen – for people who don't like Jay White, and you're like, "Oh, thank God, this guy. I hope he does lose it in MSG." I don't he's think not going away. He's not going he's not away, going guys. Away. Yeah, no. Okay, they, they they liked this guy before they sent him away, and this was all planned for him to be a top guy. So that's not going to happen. They might take the title off him for a while, but he's not going away as a top dude. This establishes him as a top dude. The one thing about Jay White and this title run is if he does lose it at MSG. We will have no evidence whether he was a draw or, or not a draw at all. We have nothing to go on because MSG was sold out to begin with. The anniversary show was going to do well either way. It's like this title run is not an argument for Jay White's stardom or either way. Like you can't argue for or against Jay White's stardom based on this title run because we have no evidence. So it, it's not going to tell any kind of story from that perspective, assuming he loses. But what it does do is it establishes him 
as a guy who can win that title at any time. Right. And I think it's good to have varied champions as well. Have a guy that that I'm not saying like short title reigns, like I want a bunch of guys winning the titles really quick, but like he now his name is in the hat for, for the next few years. And now a guy like Ibushi who signed in, on, on the dotted line, now he's kind of in the mix as well. And I, I like the idea that there's a Naito who we think is going to win it in the next few years. There's an Okada who we think is going to win it in the next few years. There's a Jay White who, who is still in the mix. There's an Ibushi who I think is now Ibushi entering himself in the mix. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and Here's the thing. We just had a super long title run. We could have a few short ones. Exactly. Right, right. I'm fine with these kind of not bouncing every single show. But, yeah, I'm right. fine with a few getting moved here and there. You know, we had Okada a guy that... had a monster run, and then Omega held it for two-thirds of a year. Right. Okay, it's okay to have Tanahashi. Tanahashi's story was told once he won it. The old guy came all the way back. You did the quote-unquote the Rocky story, whatever you want to call it. There's no point in him successfully defending for half a year. you know. So you, you put Jay White in that position to establish him at the top, and it's fine if he loses in, on his second defense. It's not going to hurt him any because it established him at that, at that level. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't mind having a couple shorter runs now because we've had a bunch of long ones. So not every run has to be super long. So our, we're in a, I, I've, I've converted you to Okada winning this thing. So you that's have. Yeah, I was always kind of on that wavelength because it always made the most sense. And then I, I you just were swayed by a Bushi hopping in the ring with that. Yeah, chair. It was too much, man. And, and that might be a future big time match. That might be a future yeah. feud. It's not now, though. Not now. Just because it doesn't make sense on, 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 the, on the scale of MSG. I mean, if this was if it was the any other New Japan Cup, I would buy a Bushi doing it because, yeah, they could just have a Bushi, you know, challenge him at, at invasion attack or whatever and lose. And it'd be whatever. It'd be fine. And then like. Like, you know, Okada can win it at Dominion or whatever. It would make all the sense in the world. But the idea that they're going to MSG and not going to have, like, that big triumphant moment where there's confetti falling from the ground and there's 18 or 19 or however many thousand people in there screaming, like, that's what they want. They want that iconic moment. And you don't get a, that iconic moment with Jay White cowering out of the ring with Gato laughing and then saying, ha, 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 you know what I mean? Like, that's not happening. Like, that, that, that's not a definitive end to that show they want i think and, and and rightfully so i would want that too the visual of of okada standing in the middle of the ring the dollars flowing from the ceiling or whatever at msg you know what i mean that that's an iconic moment jay white slipping out of the ring after he cheats to win that that's not iconic you know yeah. that that doesn't have the same ring to it so that, that's why i i worked myself a little bit with the abushi thing and i think that that is gonna matter at some point but yeah it's i don't think it's right now unfortunately that's gonna matter so all right so let's go through this anniversary show um we got about 50 minutes left. We knew we'd be running up against. Yes. Yeah, we knew it. Um, but I think I think with what we have left, we can get through it. So let's, it, look, yeah. let's look at the anniversary show. We'll start at the top at the main event or the bottom, I should say. So well, it's a good transition. Let's talk about this Jay White win over Will Ospreay. Now, to me, um, you know, this the win. The winner was never going to be in doubt. Jay White was going to win this match. And um, I think that what this match did was we talked about Will Ospreay a little bit. Let's talk about him more. The Pacific Rim podcast on the Figure Four Weekly website, uh, Fumi Saito on that show had noted that he spoke to some people inside New Japan and they noted to him, and these are people inside the company, that they don't see the Kenny Omega loss as a enormous damaging loss because they think now, Will Ospreay, not Jay White, is the guy that can step right in to that Kenny Omega role and become a main event player and IWGP champion 
down the line in the not so distant future and sort of fill that role to connect with the Western audiences and help with the expansion and also be an enormous star in Japan, which I thought was interesting. Look, we kind of thought that, Rich, that they're going to move him up to heavyweight and give this guy an honest go as a main eventer. But now for the first time, we sort of kind of have a report from someone who's very credible who talked to people in the company where that's the thinking of people in the company. They think Will Ospreay is a main eventer and a champion. And uh, the thing about it now, he also did note that if, if Kenny Omega wants to come back, they're open to it and they're fine with it. They haven't closed the door on Kenny Omega and they're okay with that too. Because how? why the hell wouldn't you want Kenny Oh, of course. Omega? No, yeah. If you want to come back in, yeah, go ahead. Sure. I mean, he's an enormous star, but they're not sweating it because they think Will Ospreay could be the guy. And I'm, it's very interesting to me, not so much that we have people inside New Japan saying that Will Ospreay could be uh, is going to get an honest to God push as a top guy and be potentially be a champion. That part's not as surprising to me as them saying that Will Ospreay is the guy they think can step into the role and not Jay White. Now that doesn't mean I don't see that as them losing faith in Jay White or not having faith in Jay White. I just think it it says that much more about Osprey, right? That they have another guy now. I, I, yeah, th- it's not a zero sum in this case. That because right. they push Osprey, that now they're not going to push White. I think they could push both at the same time and for different reasons and 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 have them go on different paths. And I think that yeah, it, it's less of an indictment of Jay White and more of a you know a, 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 an endorsement of, of Will Osprey. Now let us add to this based on something that we heard from someone that we talked to, sort of an addition to this story. It's interesting, Rich, and I know you remember this conversation because it was a Twitter DM, so we were both in on it, um, with someone who used to work for New Japan. And do you remember that person telling us, who, by the way, is this person is an enormous fan of Jay White. They put over Jay White. You, you know the conversation. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. This person put over Jay White as hard as you can put someone over. So do not read this as someone not being in Jay White's corner or thinking that he doesn't deserve this spot. That's not the case. But what this person told us was, and what they asked our opinion on, was do we think that Jay White can connect with Western audiences the way that Kenny Omega did or some other, maybe AJ Styles, other people that they've had in that spot? And we gave our opinion, which was, I think I'm the one who answered. And I said, nah, I don't know. I'm not so sure about that. And this person who used to work for New Japan and loves Jay White and thinks that Jay White is a star and belongs in this spot said, I don't think so either. I don't think Jay White's the guy to connect with Western audiences. And let me tell you something. That opinion proved to be right because, Rich, people do not like Jay White. And not in a heel way. There was a lot of resistance to this guy from Western fans who think he's boring. They don't see him as a good champion. They are not watching the, the, the shows because of him, or they're at least not watching his main events. That person was right on the money with their assessment of Jay White in that he's not necessarily the right person to connect with Western audiences. And it seems as though the existing New Japan office agrees because they think Will Ospreay is that guy. So I will ask you, do you think the New Japan office is correct in that assessment? <sighs> I right now, yes. I, I, I you've said too that I think Jay White's long term goal and long term I think viability is going to be as a babyface, as as a big time kind of that guy that people can kind of rally behind. Whether Western fans will rally behind him, I don't know. For whatever reason, and 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 this be, could be because he's kind of homegrown. 
it never feels like they, and I'm talking kind of from the audience, like the standpoint of like myself and, and people that watch, like I, and, 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 you know, other people that we talk to a lot, they, Jay White, for whatever reason, doesn't feel like, I don't know, he doesn't feel like one of their own. They don't feel like they watched his rise. I don't, even though they did watch his rise, they it, saw him it, as a young lion, but they didn't, they don't feel invested in him in the same way that Will Ospreay, we, we've been talking about him for five, six years. It was like, this guy came up through the ranks, came up through Britain, came up through this, and we, there's some investment in this guy's rise and this guy's where he's at. Where Jay White, I don't know why. We saw, I mean, people that were watching New Japan saw him, but it just kind of felt to a lot of people out of nowhere. It felt like, what did this guy do to deserve this? Why is he here? We haven't seen the come up from him. We haven't seen him sort of rise through the ranks like we've seen Will Ospreay do it. Like, I guess you could essentially say Kenny Omega because people have been hearing about Kenny Omega for years on DDT and then doing stuff with PWG and, and, and Ring of Honor and stuff like that as he was kind of worked his way up. And it felt like Jay White just kind of appeared. And that's not how, you know, American wrestling fans or, or, or I should just say North American wrestling fans and European wrestling fans were used to the the rise, the, the, the ascension of a guy to get to that level. And I think we invest in that a little bit more where Jay, uh, Jay White just kind of appeared. You know what I mean? He just comes back and he's immediately there. And I think it's a little all too much too soon for, for a lot of people. They don't feel like they're really invested in that story too much. Does that make sense to you at all? I have a slightly different theory. Tell me what you think of my theory. And when I'm talking about people who Jay White isn't connecting with, I, I want to be very clear, first of all. I'm not talking about these psychopaths who talk about mayonnaise and fucking vanilla. And I, yeah, don't we don't give a shit about them. Yeah, we don't that. care about right. them. They're, they, don't, they, they're, they don't mean anything. They don't even they're care. All listen, they, they're all listening uh, right now, though, but hi. How, welcome. They keep listening every week. Yeah. <laughs> no one cares what any of them think. That's just weirdos trolling you. Want. Nobody cares what they think. Um, they're insignificant. Well, I'm talking about real, real fans who pay for the product and are into the product and just they're turned off by Jay White. And I think that my theory on that is I think the Tanahashi match at the Dome two years ago did a lot of damage to Jay White, being that it was a bad, awkward match, however you want to describe it. Yeah, okay. Now, now, and my, my, my reason for saying that is a lot of people doubted that Jay White was going to have a good match in that spot. And then he, and then really went out there and shit the bed. And I think when that happens in such a high profile match, especially in a return match, and you're put in such a big spot, people didn't like that. He was put in the big spot because he didn't deliver. I think wrestling fans and we're all guilty of it. Sometimes we dig our heels in. And I think a lot of people are still digging their heels in on Jay White. Despite the fact that he had the great Juice Robinson match, despite the fact that he had the great Okada match, despite the fact that he had this great Willow Spray match, I think there's still people. And, and and what else, what else hurt was the G1. I was going to say, yeah, I think the G1 was because people were waiting. Okay, cool. This is a big moment. And then he just went there and was doing heel work, you know, and it was good heel work. It really was, you know, interesting, good heel work. But yeah, it didn't it didn't pop like you know we're used to g1s popping with 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 great matches and stuff so that that i think is that is significant i do think so the tanahashi match and the g1 the way it was booked for him uh you know i think people have dug their heels in and it's gonna take some time and a lot of really good matches and he needs a great match he hasn't had the great match depending where you stand on the juice match he hasn't had the great match the match that really breaks him through so I think people have dug their heels in. I think some people didn't want to like Jay White, and now they have reasons to back up the fact that they don't like. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I got you. Yeah, they yeah, were resistant sure. to him to begin with, and he has given them reasons to dig their heels in and really own that take. I think he's facing that as a problem, and I think the other part of the problem is he doesn't give a fuck. Jay White is working to this character, and he's going to continue doing so. He's not the kind of guy who's going to go on Twitter 
and read bad reviews of his matches and read reviews and go on Twitter and see what people are saying and give a single shit. He's going to go out there and do his job. He's going to work to the gimmick. And he's going to see this switchblade thing through. And he's not. He's going to do what his bosses ask him to do. Whereas if Kenny Omega or maybe someone like Mike Elgin, and you could probably name a bunch of other guys, saw all these bad reviews, they have the kind of personalities where they would say, well, I'm going to show these marks. I'm going to go out there and have a five-star match next time. Because fuck them. You know, because they're a little more thin-skinned when it comes to that stuff. They care about people's opinions. Kenny Omega's gimmick is the best bout machine. He gets off on getting yeah, He five literally goals. cares. I mean, that, his he gimmick is that he cares. Yes. He doesn't hide the fact that he cares. And there's other wrestlers. That, I'm not trying to throw Mike Elgin under the bus. I'm just other wrestlers. Who, he's another guy who cares about that. Some of these, I don't think Jay White gives a shit. I think Jay White is performing to his gimmick and will continue to do so, even if that means he's not going out there having the traditional – IWGP heavyweight title matches that we've grown accustomed to under the last four or five champions because your Okada's and your Naito's and your Omega's and your AJ Styles of the world were going out there and having 35-minute classic matches. This is a different kind of champion. He understands he's a different kind of champion, and it wouldn't make sense for Switchblade Jay White to go out there and have 40-minute near-fall fests. Because that's not what he is, and that's mm-hmm. not the story they're telling. And because of that, people want that, and they're not getting it. Right. He breaks the lineage of a Tanahashi, uh, uh, you know, uh, an yeah. Okada, that lineage, the Omega. That, that's kind of that lineage of guys that go out there to have great matches. He, he right. is not doing that. That's, that's not his not intention, is. is to go out there and have great matches. And it's different, and it's unique. And, and like we've seen tweets about that. And people that, that are very well-adjusted fans that go... Oh geez, like I think I forget what I did. I gave a rating to something, and they were like, "Ah, oh, geez, this is what the main events are." Like, I don't know if I like New Japan that much anymore. You know, I'm a little down on it because, like, I'm you know I'm I'm there for the big time, big time, awesome matches. Like, I'm not there for good character work and four stars. Like, that's that doesn't hit me on the same level that it does. I can go watch good matches and four stars and, and good characters on a bunch of different places. I come to New Japan for like the great wrestling and all that sort of stuff. So I get I get that. I I, I, I think you might be onto something a little bit there. Yeah. So I think we have two camps: the people you just described. And then the people who have already dug their heels in and it's going to take years to recondition them into thinking this guy's any good. And then, of course, you have people who just don't think he's good. And that's fine, too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think those two camps are the predominant ones. And that's why I don't disagree with that person we spoke to. And I do kind of think that Will Ospreay would be better to fill the Kenny Omega role. And like you said, though, it's not a zero-sum game. I think there's a place for Jay White. Look, Jay White's over in Japan. Like I have no idea if he's a good draw or a bad draw, and we're unfortunately we're not going to find out for the reasons I talked about before. But when you watch these Jay White matches, they're reacting to his shit. They reacted to all his bullshit in the G1. They reacted to uh, the shocking finish at the Tokyo Dome. They reacted to the finish of this match. His shit is over. His character is over because they've spent a year getting that character over. And that's why they sacrificed his G1 to get this character over. So, you know, like you said, I think you said it perfectly. It's not a zero-sum game, but I do agree with the office that Will Ospreay is a guy who can fill that Omega role as the guy who connects with a worldwide audience. Right, right, right. Connect with, with, you know, connect with your Reddit audience. Connect with your, you know, your Twitter audience. Connect with your, you know, casual fans or whatnot. And and, and Jay White isn't. And and I think another part that you brought up as well is his character work as well. I enjoy it because I 
I think he's doing a great job there, but it's not like he's not a badass heel. You, you know, he's kind of a chicken shit heel. He's kind of just like a, a sleazy. Yeah, and he he doesn't look like a badass either. He looks like a child. He looks like a twenty one year old. He's got that, the chubby cheeks and he's, yeah, so it, it's unique. Like I, I get it. it. It's definitely weird, and it's not for everybody. I, I I've been a Jay White fan since he was a young lion. So so I I come at it from that aspect, and I'm sort of invested uh, in him from there. But oh god sorry i've been having that sneeze i knew it was gonna come too i've been waiting for like 15 minutes to sneeze and i knew it was gonna come the second i i started on a point but no like i'm invested in him because of that but like i could see how if you're not if you if you weren't watching those young lion things you just look at this guy who's kind of a chicken shit heel that looks he's got the chubby cheeks like you said he doesn't look like a badass he doesn't wrestle like a badass really he's a little bit more methodical with his wrestling maybe his highs aren't gonna be as high as you've been used to I get it. I, I do, but it, it's going to be weird. I, I don't know, and I think there's going to be a lot of people dancing on the grave after MSG, but I don't think it's over quite yet. I think he's going to stay there forever. And, and, oh, no, he's a top guy, and, yeah. I, and I think he's capable of those style matches. I just don't think it fits the character. I don't think they want him working those matches, and I don't think that he feels like he should be working those kind of matches either. Sure, and right. there was, and all of these people for years have been saying that they're tired of the new Japan main event style. And now you're getting something different. You don't like that either. I mean, I understand Venn diagrams that might not be the same people, but if you are, if you do overlap in that Venn diagram, I'm not so sure what would make you happy then. Because this is the complete opposite of what we were getting with those other champions. You're getting story-based matches that, are not near fall fests. They can end at any time. You're getting the total opposite. So I don't know, man. Yeah, what makes you happy? <laughs> Maybe nothing. Know. Maybe you need a new hobby or a new right. Probably, and again, yeah. I'm not suggesting that that's everyone. No, no. You, I, know, but, yeah. you know, but but as far as the match goes, yeah. I mean, I thought uh, I I really loved this match. I mean, I thought that the storytelling in this match was fantastic, and I thought the work matched it with Jay White working over Willow Spray's ribs, and then that clearly playing into Willow. Like there were several times where Willow spray could not lift Jay white to perform moves and what working over the ribs did. And I thought, you know, what it did was it eliminated Osprey from using his new finish. I forget what he calls the new finish. The one he finished go, uh, uh the stormbreaker. Uh, Are you talking about the stormbreaker? stormbreaker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He couldn't do the stormbreaker cause he couldn't lift the man. Yeah. So he kept going for the os cutter and he went for four different os cutters and Jay white had a different answer for all four of them, which Fits Jay White to a T. Like, first, he just simply ducked out of the way. Then, uh, you know, obviously, the finish was he reversed it into the switchblade, which didn't quite land all that smooth, which kind of hurt the match uh, at the finish because it was very, uh, uh, it was very, um, they tried something that was very difficult to pull off and it just didn't quite connect. And you got to dock him for that. If you're going to be ambitious, you got to nail it. Yeah, yeah for didn't sure. didn't quite nail it at the finish. But he had other creative counters for the os cutter all the way. And, and, and Osprey had to rely on the os cutter. He yeah. had to because he couldn't do the Stormbreaker. And the one time that Osprey had him set up for the elbow, I don't remember what he calls that either, off with his head or whatever he calls that. The one time he had him set up for the elbow and had him beat, Gato did the run-in and prevented him from doing so. Uh, by distracting uh, both the referee and Osprey. Now, the Gato spot made sense in the story of the match from that perspective. It took away another one of Will Osprey's weapons, but it also killed the momentum of the match for me. And that spot really hurt the match. And for me, that prevented that prevented it from being a great match, and it knocked it down a peg to a very good one for me personally. 
I don't like the story. I think Jay White should be able to beat the never open weight champion without yeah. that bullshit. Right. I think that hurts him as a champion. Does he need that for Okada? Maybe. Does he need Maybe. that for Tanahashi? I, I can, Maybe. But like, I don't like it for them either. But I can live with it. I don't like it here with Will Ospreay and never title because it doesn't hurt Will Ospreay to lose to him at this stage. Okay. Will Ospreay can get over losing this match. You know, it, without the without the shenanigans. So to me, that hurt the match a little. I went four and a quarter on it because I thought the storytelling was excellent. I thought Jay White's uh, pounding the ribs was good. I thought Will Ospreay's selling was just, once again, superlative. I thought he was great. And I thought working that selling into the fact that he couldn't use the Stormbreaker, all of the ass cutter reversals, I thought this was, the psychology in this match was tremendous. I thought the performances were very good. I just didn't like the Gato run-in. And I didn't, and and obviously they didn't hit the finish very clean. But uh, that's my take on the match itself. What did you think? Yeah, so I'm right with you. I'm about four and a quarter with this match. I I really enjoyed a lot of it. The the, the Gato run in hurt me a lot too, because for the same reason that you mentioned, like he doesn't need it, and it's just kind of like ah man, like it, it just to me it doesn't benefit anybody. It makes Jay White kind of look like a less of a guy, and it makes you know Will Osprey look like kind of a geek too. Like it just it, it was stupid. It just didn't it it, it didn't need to happen. Uh, one thing I noted, though, in, in this match, and it really stood out to me, is that Jay White's really gaining a reputation. And I put this out on Twitter, and a lot of people gave you know some responses or whatnot. But to me, there is no better wrestler in the world right now at counters than Jay White. And the reason why I say that is someone like an Okada is also great at countering moves and, and, and doing good stuff. But the thing that makes it so important with Jay White and so more poignant with Jay White is that it almost comes out of nowhere for him. Like Jay White, his offense is a little methodical. It's a little dull. I'll admit that. Like his, when he's in control, it's not, it, it's not going to light you on fire. Like you said, th- there's, you know, some guys are great at that. Uh, Okada, I think, is really good at that. Kenny Omega at times is also really good at that offense. Tanashi, I think, does a good job of, of, of that. Jay White, his offense is, it, it, it's a little slow. There's not a lot happening. There's not much going on. And you feel like when he's down, like he's he's over. Like it's like, ah shit, this other guy's beating the hell out of him. Jay White's over. And then he just out of nowhere hits a counter. Like, and 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 he's almost done it in a way that that he sort of established that that's kind of how his character wrestles. Is he's a guy that sort of waits in the weeds and then grabs you whenever you 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 don't think that he's gonna do it. He just sort of he plays possum a lot. You know what I mean? He'll he'll take a beat down and then hit you with a counter out of nowhere that you don't expect. We saw it with Okada. Okada got completely taken by surprise at Wrestle Kingdom because White just hit a counter out of nowhere and beat him. And it's just like fuck, like he can do that at any time for you. And 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 part of me, I really do enjoy that about him. And and that's where I di- I, I differentiated a little bit from Okada. So I think Okada's just a great wrestler and counters are a part of his wrestling. Does that make sense to me? to you that's just thing that he's really good at but he's really good at everything in wrestling I, I didn't have a problem with you saying that and i think some people just took it as like countering people's finishers all the time but it's not i knew that's not what you meant he counters all kinds of shit right he's a bend match. but not break he's like this is again an analogy that you're gonna get and like 40 percent of the people listening are gonna get yeah. he reminds me of like the 2002 tampa bay bucks does this make yeah. okay <laughs> do you get where like that offense sucked it had like brad johnson and fucking i don't even remember who the running Sean back was King. yeah no, Sean, no, yeah I'm sorry, Sean King was uh, 99. You're right. Right, it yeah. Bad. It was like, Brad, who the hell was the running back? It doesn't matter. because It would have been work done. I, yeah, oh yeah, it was work done at that point. It, it was it, fine. The problem was the receipt. They had really bad receivers. There. Yeah, right, right. It was just nobody. It was, you know, who was the... Uh, whatever, it doesn't matter. But their offense, their defense was great. And what their defense would do is let you get to the red zone. They would say, you know what, fuck it. You're going you're gonna to pass up and down the field from us. They were doing the cover two or whatever. They are just yeah. letting people pass, letting people pass. And, and the second you got into the red zone, though, they were either going to annihilate you over the top with like, you know, Dorsey or whatever, or, uh, you know, uh, what, what's it, uh, Rondé Barber and whatnot would would kill you. Or they would just turn the ball over. They would just get an interception. They would just at the last second kill you. And then what they said, it was like the bend but not break. 
they would bend all the way to let you get to the red zone, let you get feeling yourself, start passing the ball all over the place. And the second you let your guard down, boom, interception, taking it to the house. That's what you, they you, did. You might get a couple first downs. Yeah. Oh, get knock yourself out. Oh, pass the you know, no huddle. Yeah, knock yourself out. You're third. Eventually, Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and Rondé Barber, we're gonna make a play and we're gonna get you off the field. Exactly. Yes. And and that's we're not what they're worried gonna worried about you can get it, you know, seven, eight yards a chunk, but we're gonna get you off that field. And the bottom line is you're not gonna score. Right. That's you're gonna get yards, but you're not gonna score. And that's I, I get that with Jay White, where he's just like, yeah, you got me, you got me, you got me, boom, the second you let your guard down, the second you think you got me down, here I am, I'm ready for you, here's this counter, here's this reversal, here's this, and and that's where I put him as, as a better counter, quote-unquote wrestler, than an Okada, who, Okada will counter a finisher and make it look like, great, but White's always there, he's always waiting in the weeds, he's always ready to sort of counter your stuff, so that's why I brought that up, and I think it's, he's kind of, that's become sort of his, I, I don't know, his reputation, and that's kind of become his style, and I like it, it's different, it's unique. But that is, to a lot of people, as you said, kind of a shock to the system because they're not used to a guy that's your main eventer that his best aspect is countering punches and countering finishers and countering that, and that sort of stuff. But he's so good at that. And I think that it, in this match, it really stood out to me as well. I mean, Rich, one of the big themes of the match was he had a counter for the Oscutter cutter every time. Right. Four I mean, different ones, too, as you said. He's he's a guy, his gimmick is that he's sleazy and he's cerebral. And and when you when you do finally uh, you know, have the advantage on this guy, then he's got his manager to help him. And that's the aspect of it I don't really love. But that's the story they're telling here with this guy. Right. That's the kind of wrestler he is, and I don't think he's going to deviate from that. If you're waiting around for you know four and three-quarter star classics, I don't think this character, this gimmick is meant to be that way. I, you know, So you're going to have to um, you know, either gut it out until he loses or you know, uh, try to appreciate uh, the different kind of storytelling they're doing with this champion. But um, but yeah, the post-match I wanted to talk about quickly, and we're running up against it. We're not going to get through all this stuff. No, it's just... Is, um, <laughs> is the post-match, I thought they did something very unique at the end of the show where a lot of people may have turned it off before they even saw this, but I saw it. And they have never... I, I cannot recall them ever doing this. At the very end of the broadcast... After they did the angle with the four stars in the ring with with White, after the commentator stopped talking and everything else, they showed footage of Willow Spray being helped to the back as the crowd chanted, ah, Spray, ah, Spray. And he slowly walked to the back and, and nodded to the crowd and then turned around before he went through the curtain. And that's how they closed the show. Rich, when did they ever do that? I've never seen them do that. I can't recall them ever doing that. And maybe I'm not describing it as impactful as it felt when I was watching. Because I wasn't really paying attention. I kind of let the feed go and then I'm doing whatever else I'm doing. You know what I mean? Tweeting about the match or whatever. And I let the feed go to the end. And that's what they left you with. The image they left you with was Willow Spray limping to the back with the crowd chanting his name. The loser of the match. I mean, if that's not seed planting, I don't know what is. And he's been in this main event against the champion and on this show two years in a row on the anniversary show. You know, and I'm just thinking to myself as I'm watching this, holy shit, this guy's going to win this title. He's going to win this title someday. And then once you know it, a day later, that Pacific Rim podcast comes out where basically you know, we got confirmation that the office is behind this guy a million percent. 
And it kind of sucked the wind out of my sails because I was going to push that theme hard. And <laughs> you know, I, I got now, it. now it's a little now we got a second source on there, so that's good yeah, too. You know, I had the information. You got to give him credit. They did a good job, and and I suggest everyone go listen to it. And I think it's on YouTube for free. As a matter of fact, that show. it is. Yes, correct. Normally, it's behind the, their paywall. I think, but I think they put that one up for free, and you can listen to it. And they do a good job on that show. And um, you know, it just hit me. I'm like, this guy's going to win this fucking title. And and the next day, so. I don't know, man. I think uh, what we've learned this week is it's full steam ahead with Will Ospreay. You want to go over some of these other matches for yeah, the show? Sure. Yeah, we'll do it kind of quick here because I, I don't know. I have like super long thoughts about all this, uh, all the other matches. So yeah, that, that'll be pretty quick to go through this one. Okay, so they did the six man semi, which was Tanahashi, Okada, and, and Superstar Goto uh, against the three Lij guys. I don't have massive thought. This was nah, just it's a, fine. It was just a guy doing their everybody playing their hits and yeah, no one was out there to work super hard or anything and it was fine. So uh Ishimori Liger we talked about a little bit earlier, so I don't think we have to go too deep here. I thought they told the perfect story for what this was. You know, Liger, he hit the brain buster on the outside, so they teased the count out. That's one of his big spots. And they teased a few other things, but he pushed Ishimori just enough to put a scare into him. But the overriding theme was the Best junior in the world was too good for the 50-year-old, 54-year-old man. And it was the best possible match for that story that they were telling. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm right with you on that because it was cool stuff where you said Liger put the brain buster to the outside. Uh, then Liger got to the ropes when Ishimori had him in the lock. And that was like enough of a hope spot where people were like, okay, here we go. And then you know Liger hit the bomb. Ishimori kicks out a 2.9, you know, and then basically another minute later, Ishimori gets him back in the lock and then puts it in the middle of the ring. Liger tries to roll out of it like he did, you know, to get the hope spot win, you know, last week. Ishimori gets out at 2.9 again, and then he locks it in one more time in the middle of the ring, rolls through it, locks it in even harder the next time, and then it's just like, yeah, he's got nowhere to go. And it's just like, okay, like Liger had his little spots. It felt like he could maybe do it if all the things went right, but Ishimori beat him because Ishimori is the, the, the ace right now, and, and Liger is 54 years old. So, no, exactly how it should have been structured, and nobody, everybody looks good at the end of it. Ishimori doesn't look like a geek for almost losing to Liger because, you know, it, it, yeah, perfect. They, they nailed this one yeah. for sure. Liger didn't get too much to where Ishimori looked like a weak champion. He looked like a guy who struggled a little bit, but was able. Right. Like every Liger move was basically like finisher that he wanted to try to finish him off with. It's not like Liger had like a, a, a long 10 minute control period or whatever. Right. He hit the Liger bomb, went for the pin right away. Oh my God, am I going to do it? Okay, no, I'm not. Oh, I'm going to lock him in like very similar to what I did when I beat him a week ago. Just kind of this out of nowhere flash pin or whatever. Oh, he kicked out. Oh, I'm going to try to give him to count out. Oh, he didn't count out. Ah, all right, whatever. That's all I got. <laughs> I'm tapping out. You're done. All right. You know, Ishimori's been a fun little champion here. Yes, yes. This has worked out, you know, and then uh, Dragon Lee came out to challenge him. We thought we're getting an epic one-on-one match in MSG. Again, wrestlers all over the show were talking about MSG, which talks to your point that it's a very big deal to the company that they're, um, you know, uh, this MSG thing. But um, uh, he comes out, talks about MSG. We thought we're getting this epic one-on-one match, and then the next day, Bandito sticks his nose in, so now it's a three-way. Now the three-way match is going to be phenomenal. We all know that. But there's just less panache to these three ways than there is to a classic one-on-one championship match on a big show. And that's why the three ways bother me. Not that the three way – look, this three way is going to be bonkers. We all know that. But it's less special than just yeah. picking two of these guys and letting them have a match. And that's why the three ways bother me. I just wanted to make that clear. Um, where are you with the three? Would you rather see the singles of match? Of course, here? yeah, all the time. We always say this that any any time I would see a three way match, and 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 there are plenty of three way matches that are really really good, and this one will be no exception. This one will be good too. But again, it's one of these deals where any combination of the three I would like a thousand times more than a three way dance because nobody. I, I think there's just always too many cooks in the kitchen, and nobody 
it, it feels like nobody gets over in a three-way dance. It feels like it's a fun little match and everybody has their fun and maybe the match is going to be good, but it's just so much more impactful if it's just one-on-one every single time. I am always in favor of one-on-one over three-ways. I don't mind if there's a dopey three-way and some random you know, opener or some random undercard thing or whatever, but when it's your titles and it's your big-time guys or whatever, it's guys that you're pushing in a division, always a one-on-one to me, always. I'm always going to say that as well. So Rapongi 3K win the junior tag team titles from Bushi and Shingo. Um, I thought this match was really good. I thought this was maybe a smidge better than Ishimori Liger, but not quite as good as the main event. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I think taking the belts uh, off of Shingo was the key here because I think, you know, in a couple of months, he's going to go into best of the super juniors as one of the favorites. So uh, is that your read on this? And I think so. Yeah, I think so too. But I thought this was uh, another example. And we, we mentioned on, on New Japan, it's so obvious what they think that Shingo, they, they know this oh, dude's a star. He oh, did everything in this match, man. He did every offense. I don't think he took one fall either. The second he tagged Bushi in, Bushi was then get like beaten down. Then he'd bring in, you know, Shingo and Shingo would come back in and do all of his stuff. Like they think this dude's a fucking star. And if you don't think that they think he is uh, going to be a junior star and that they don't think he's going to be a heavyweight star, you're out of your mind. They oh, yeah, you're not paying do. attention. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he's yet to take a fall. No, he didn't take offense in this match either. Like, yeah, a few he, stuff here and there, but for the most part, it was like, anytime Rapunky 3K had any offense, it was on Bushi, and then Shingo would come in, and they would, like, cower in fear, and he would just beat the fuck out of them for whatever 10 minutes that he was in, so. Yeah, and that's why I, I still am going to stick to this. I really don't think he's long for LIJ, because I can't see him being the number two junior in a unit. I can't see it. And with Hiromu there, he has to be the number two junior. You know, and I can't see that as a as what they want him to be. Um, I don't think that's what how they want people to see him, because I think they do have big plans for him. So I think at some point we maybe see some kind of angle with a split of some type. Or hey, listen, maybe they surprise all of us, and Hiromu is the one that's not long for Lij. But right. I, I think this faction is not big enough for the both of them, because you've got two alphas. You can't have Hiromu or Shingo be the number two guy. You can't. That's a, that's a great story too, where maybe Shingo ascends and he says, "You know, I'm the number one." And then that might be the return of Hiromu. Uh, How do you like that idea of like, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you know, Shingo wins best of the Super Juniors, calls it out, and then all of a sudden here's Hiromu saying, "No, no, 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 don't forget, I am, you know, the ace of the Juniors." Yada yada yada. And then you kind of go from there. I think that could be a pretty good story there. But yeah, I mean, you know, my assumption has always been that Shingo would be the guy that would leave the group, but maybe it's Hiromu. I don't know, but I, I just don't think they 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 both can uh, exist in that group. And then. We had some some other card matches, but I don't have strong thoughts on any of them. Um, so we've got other stuff to get to. So would you like to uh, move on? Yeah, let's do that. At this point. So we want to talk about the champion carnival blocks because we didn't get a chance to do it last week. And it actually worked out because some news broke uh, earlier today as we record this that Kengo Mashimo could be out. He's injured. And according to some tweets, I don't have this necessarily verified. I guess we could figure it out before next week or whatever. Um, Junakiyama, who keeps trying to not work this tournament every year, uh, proclaims <laughs> he's got himself. the Liger thing where he's like, no, I just know I want to go home. Yeah, and then he ended up being fucking awesome last year, yeah. which was great. But he had proclaimed himself the alternate in case something happened before this thing happens. And now he might have to jump in. As we record this, it's not official, but it looks like Kengo Mashimo might be out. And I've got to tell you, Junakiyama coming in for Kengo Mashimo, I'll take that trade any day of the week. Um, I'm kind of rooting for that to happen, to be honest. And it's also, by the way, in that stacked A block, which would just make it that much better. So, Rich, I will go over the blocks. The A block, which is by far 
uh, the better block here. <laughs> oh, yeah. not, not that the B block is completely empty, but right, let's just talk about the blocks. So A block, we've got Yuma Aoyagi, uh, the big dog, the real big dog, Suji Ishikawa, uh, Dylan James, Kengo Mishimo, which may end up being Junakiyama, the champion, Kento Miyahara, Yuji Okabayashi, uh, Ryuji Sai, Johnny Valletta, and Zeus in the A block. And then the B block, which, look, I think the very top of the B block is just fine. It's just down block is, I don't know what's going on. We got Sam Adonis, uh, <laughs> Joe Doring, uh, the perpetually underwhelming uh, Daishi Hashimoto, uh, Jake Lee, who just refuses to step up and grab stardom, uh, Naya Nomura, Joel Redmond coming in from Europe. Okay. Uh, Suwama. Rich, did you ever think CyberCon would be an HM? <laughs> I always forget that that's CyberCon. I see that name, and initially I was like, ooh, Yoshida. And I'm just like, wait, no, that's CyberCon. Never mind. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you always get a little excited. I, I, do you do that too when you see that name? You kind of mix them up and, and, and think he's somebody Every else. Every time but... I see Takashi Yoshida, I'm not, I don't remember who it is at first. And then I, I'm like, yeah, oh, I did wait. the same. I was like, ooh, okay. And I was like, wait a minute, that's Cybercon. Fuck. Cybercon. That's, that's, yeah. that's not good. No, wait. Yeah. Every time I see the name, I'm like, who? Oh, wait. Yeah, that's Cybercon. Yeah, that's not going to be good. And then no. uh, Yoshitatsu, who some people are trying to convince themselves is good. Um, yeah, on his very best day in a tag team match, every now and then, Yoshitatsu is good, but Yoshitatsu is not good. Can we please stop with that? Uh, so anyway, the A block, you're going to get singles matches with Suji Ishikawa and Kento Miyahara and Yuji Okabayashi and Zeus and and maybe Jun Akiyama and Yuma Aoyagi, a young star. And in the B block, you're going to get stuff like Sam Adonis versus Joel Redman and, and Cyber Kong versus Yoshitatsu and Cyber Kong versus Sam Adonis. And, uh, you know, you're oh, still... Stop. <laughs> you're going to get Joe Doring versus Suwama. Oh, my I God. Guess. Sam Adonis, Cyber Kong. Why, why would you even... Oh my god! Ugh, Listen, Yoshi's not in the tr- carnival. That's all I'm worried about. He worked the big fucking Yokohama show. I thought they're gonna put Yatuki Yoshi in it again. Thank God he's not in it. I'm scared that if Kengo Mishimo's out, it's not gonna be Junakiyama, and they're gonna find a way to get fucking Yoshi back in there again, uh, which is not gonna make me happy because I sat through enough of his shit matches last year. But when you look at this, obviously the A block is the stacked block. Um. My thing with Jake Lee is I have lost faith in Jake Lee. And I had talked about it briefly last week. And I just, I don't see any fire. I don't see any intensity. I don't see a guy who looks like he badly wants to be a star. I don't see it. And I think that's a problem with a lot of young Japanese wrestlers right now. I see the same thing with Kaito Kiyomiya. I see the same thing with, uh, to some extent, to Takuya no more. I see the same thing to some extent with Sonata. These wrestlers just don't aren't showing the fire and the passion and the fight to be stars. You know, and I, I want to see them take it by the throat and say, notice me because I'm the next big. And I'm not seeing that. Jake Lee is just this emotionless blob. And, and it's right there for him. And it's frustrating. And I thought that that is like kind of hot takey. But from what I'm learning is a lot of all Japan fans are starting to feel that way too about Jake Lee. And it's a shame. And guys like uh, Nomura, who I do not think can be a big time star, are passing him up. And some people believe Yuma Aoyagi can pass him up. I would have more faith in Aoyagi than Nomura. I happen to think Nomura is just a guy. 
Um, you know, a good solid guy to have on the roster, but I don't see him as a future triple crown champion or a difference maker or a future Kento Miyahara. I don't see it. I saw that in Jake Lee at some point and I don't see it anymore. So, you know, it's going to be a big carnival for Jake Lee because he's in a block that let's face it, he could win. Okay. You know, you get by Joe Doring in a block decider and I haven't seen the schedule and I don't think they have the schedule out yet. And the and the block is there for you to take. He should, yeah, he really should take that one. The problem is, is is he going to have good matches in that block? And that might be. I mean, I guess are you going to look towards like you'll understand that? Yeah, maybe the Sam Adonis match is going to be very good. But are you looking at like the Swami match and the Joe Doring match or matches that you got to step up and be awesome in? Is and that no, kind of how you're looking at? You look match with Nomura. Um, that's true. Yeah, yeah, Nomura too. And and Joe Doring and Suwama's hit or miss. I don't know. You know, and, and, you know, maybe he could have a good match with Joel Redman. I don't know, but is anyone going to care? <laughs> right, right, right. And it's like, it's it, Daishi Hashimoto, that guy always underwhelms. I've given up on that guy, too. And it's like, you know, it, it, it's, I don't know. And maybe, you know, and I don't really like the way they book him either. I feel like the company might not have the same faith in Jake Lee that we all thought they did have. And maybe it's because he doesn't show that fire and that passion. It just bothers me. There's so many wrestlers in Japan who just don't have fire and passion and guts and heart anymore. And that's so important in Japanese wrestling. You know, and I just don't see it from these guys. You know, and it, and it bothers me. It's disappointing. But, um, you know, we've got our A block there. And it's, it's, it's you know, you would think that, you know, it, Miyahara obviously is going to be in play. He's either going to win the block or lose a big block decider to set up two title matches between the guy he loses the block to and the guy he loses to in the final. But to me, my eyes are on Jake Lee. This is his last stand, in my opinion. I need to see a big tournament out of him, and you made a great point. He's really not set up with great opponents to do that. And I think that might be a problem. So, But if you put Junakiyama in that A block, uh, oh, man. I mean, I, I really hope that plays out. Because then you've got Akiyama, Ishikawa, Miyahara, Okabayashi, and Zeus all in the same block. And Ryuji Sai can give you a good match with any of them. Yeah, I was going to say, he, he's a guy that, yeah, he, he might not always get to that top, top, top tier level, but I think he'll be solid in that block enough. He doesn't need to be a top tier guy. He just he, he would be one of the worst in that block, but that's a good spot to be. Uh, and that's not a bad, you know, not a bad spot for him either. You, you know, when I'm saying worse, I'm saying that, you know, on a scale of like, you know, your Dylan James and your Sai are, are, are and obviously, Gianni Valenta or whatever he sticks out like a sore thumb but like yeah those are your quote worst guys in the block that's not bad if you know Dylan James yeah, Gianni Valenta stinks and it's like you know he he's you know one of these million the millionth version of a Brody knockoff and he's just not very good and he's is what he is and it's fine I mean any promotion any tournament is gonna have shit at the bottom I understand it that's fine but Yes, Sai is a guy I think that can have good matches. With- Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 